The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. You can support this show by visiting patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge and joining as a Tier 1 supporter. Join Tier 2 to receive access to our 2020 FBS team profiles, which include over 150 pages of player, coach, and team performance information, and team projections updated daily to reflect injuries, transfers, personnel moves, and schedule updates. Welcome back to College Football Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. And I'm joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge. And Xavier Trish, follow him on the Twitter at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. For all those that are looking for him, Nick, what is going on? A lot of news today, especially like right before the pod starts and everything, too, which is fitting, but uh, a lot going on. Well, we've we've had a uh, we've had a, a recent tradition, I think, of uh, all the news hitting immediately after we record. So I guess it's better to have it hit right before or right as we uh, right. start to record. So yeah, I, as as we're uh, getting settled here, I'm, I'm trying to finalize the updated ACC uh, schedules in our team profile. So we'll we'll have some up to date information as we get in uh, to the previews here in a little bit, but. Been a little uh, bit of a hectic last hour or so, and uh, could be a late night. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, for for me, it's like the the Welsh and I. We finished recording the football pod uh, earlier today, and as soon as we we're done, Damian Williams opts out of the season, mm. so he had to go back in and cut part that part in to talk about him because that raises Clyde Edwards Alaire's value uh, so much mm-hmm. in that. And like we found out about the Marlin stuff like immediately after. Uh, we had posted our pod the other day too, mm, yeah. so it, it's been it's been like that on all fronts, not just oh, on yeah. the college football front. So the news this is going to stop anytime soon. Yeah, think. yeah, it's coming. Uh, the the news is coming fast and furious. But Xavier, how was uh, how was your weekend? It was pretty good. Um, it's Dad's birthday today. Nice. Uh, right, Happy birthday, right Dad. Birthday. Yeah, the ripe old age of fifty six. So I asked him how the moon landing was and. You know how it was like watching the pyramids being built. So right, you know, riding hey. your dinosaur to school. Right, you know, <laughs> you know. So you know, so we celebrated that. So it's it's been good. It's been good. So, uh, but I'm I'm ready to talk about the ACC, and I'm not going to be nearly as slanderous <laughs> as I have been in in the recent couple in the last couple of episodes. And I've got some I've got some some positivity for the ACC. I was gritting my teeth when you were giving your dad's age. I'm like, oh no, if he says anything close <laughs> to me. I'm gonna be real upset, but no, no, your dad, your dad's got me beat by yeah. uh, uh, quite, quite the margin, and I'm the oldest one on this pot, so uh, that that is funny. It's Actually, close, is, it is, it's, it's very close. close. Yeah, Nick and I both born. You were born '83, right? '84. Oh, okay. So I'm, I'm a year older. Man, that's when my parents graduated so. high school. Yeah, yeah, it's a good year. Now, now my mom's turning 71 next month, so you know she, she's, uh, she's older than, than your old man by. Uh, a decent margin too. So, but uh, I mean, we got a lot to discuss here. We're going to save that big breaking news because what we're doing in the show today is talking about the ACC and, you know, spoiler alert, the ACC announced their schedule. So that is the big breaking news that we just had. 
in the last hour here, which has caused Nick to go into full panic mode <laughs> to make sure everything is updated this second, which is why right. you need to go on to CFB Winning Edge's po- uh, Patreon, patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge, because this stuff gets updated as soon as humanly possible for Nick. I mean, he does it in an instant. So the reason why he doesn't watch too much NFL football is because he's updating all of his stuff from the day before for college football. So you know, Nick works tirelessly on it. You guys should absolutely check it out. And he is, uh, you know, recording a podcast and working on schedules simultaneously right now. Yeah. If you're watching on YouTube and my face looks weird, it's cause I'm, 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 got that I'm, working. I'm, in, I'm in the sheets. Yeah. It looked like I came straight out of 1984. Didn't I? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. He's got the mustache going, which has been what you've been growing that like a uh, week now, right? Weeks, yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know how much longer it's gonna last, though, so we'll see. <laughs> and, and you have a headband, uh, honestly. It <laughs> looks like uh, when Gardner Minshew is walking to the sideline, right? Yes, so uh, <laughs> so you got the nice Gardner Minshew look. But uh, the news and notes before we get to the ACC schedule stuff is the first one, and this is you know really domino two to fall for um, uh, for college football, but. Uh, Virginia Tech cornerback Caleb Fairley, who is a, uh, you know, a very highly touted player for the NFL draft, potential first round pick and preseason All-American. He is opting out of the season uh, with Fairley out of the mix. The Hokies drop from the 10th ranked DB unit and best in the ACC to 26 overall and six in the conference. So this is a gigantic loss for the Hokies, Nick. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Caleb Farrelly is uh, probably you know one of the best corners in in college football. He uh, is probably on the short list of first corners to be selected in next year's NFL draft. We would expect he's been on a lot of All American uh, preseason lists. He's a hundred rated player according to our VGR Plus numbers. So uh, big, big loss, and and you know uh, certainly you know I don't begrudge him. Uh, it's a sort of a, a Really, really weird situation for everybody. And if you've got uh, a lot to look forward to, you know, at the, the professional level in, in uh, just a few months now, basically, uh, I don't I don't hold this against him at all. Uh, keep himself you know, safe and, and get ready for a nice payday and hopefully a really long professional career. Uh, as a college football fan, of course, I'm, I'm sad to see it. And, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how this impacts Virginia Tech. Before the scheduling news, I went and looked, and, and it didn't change anything as far as the games that they were favored in, but I uh, haven't fully gotten to the, the new schedule yet to see. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a big loss. I mean, Virginia Tech has a pretty solid secondary, had a lot of experience going back on defense, and, and had some pretty high hopes. Our numbers uh, really did like Virginia Tech a, a lot. Uh, but uh, this is, you know, not going to have a, a huge impact on actually flipping a game from being, uh, you know, a favorite to an underdog necessarily, but it's really going to narrow that margin of, of error. And when you lose your best player, I mean, that's not hyperbole. He is the best player that Virginia Tech had on their roster. It's it's certainly a big deal. Xavier, your thoughts on this move? Yeah, this is huge. Um, I was looking on Twitter today and the passer rating when targeting Caleb Fairley last season was 26.8 to give a comparison the passer rating when throwing the ball into the dirt on every snap was 39.6 oh my Just, god yeah so he was uh you know fairly island if, uh, you know to coin the term he was amazing and, and going into this year you thought that 
you know, he and the rest of the secondary was going to be Virginia Tech's way into the ACC championship game, that they would be able to kind of hold it down while the offense kind of got its rhythm together. Uh, but without them, without him there, it's going to be really tough to see where Virginia Tech now, you know, where their crutch is, where they rely on now. Uh, but once again, I think it's like Nick said, it's, it's a great move for him. I think you don't take the risk if you don't have to. I think he's a first round draft pick regardless, um, you know, and in this he you know, absolves himself of any injury or anything like that happening as well. So I think, you know, this, this for him will still keep him as a top 10, top 15 pick anyways. Yeah, this is going to be, um, th- this is, like I said, the dominoes are going to start falling and you're going to start seeing players opt out and it's going to be uh, fast and furious and there's going to be a ton of them. And uh, we've already seen it in uh, professional football. And it's funny because it was like, kind of like after the whole Miami Marlins fiasco, uh, which, you know, Florida ruining something else, what a surprise, but, uh, you know, after the whole Miami Marlins fiasco where now over 50% of their roster has tested positive for COVID the next day. And I know it coincided with a lot of NFL players entering camp too, but a lot of guys opted out, uh, today and yesterday. So it's, uh, we're going to see a ton of it, especially for some of these guys that are higher end because yeah, while, you know, the NFL, we're going to see what type of a handle they have on coronavirus, And I don't expect it to be very great uh, at all because I mean, it's just that that's a rough sport unless you're playing in a bubble, you know, to uh, hold everything off and you can't do that in football, but it's still a professional environment. You're going to have more veterans uh, taking stuff like this seriously. And it's, you know, it's not funny, but it's also not surprising that the guys that you see testing positive for COVID in the NFL, it's like 50% of rookies. And mm-hmm. it's because, you know, the younger you are and the less responsibilities you have, the more invincible you feel. And it's just, that's just a way of life overall, not just dealing with COVID and coronavirus and stuff. So um, I, I can tell you, I feel like Xavier probably is less concerned about catching it than I am. <laughs> And, uh, and probably less concerned than, than Nick. So, uh, and it's just, you know, it's a young man's game. It, it, it's what it is. He's in way better health than me. I know that for a fact, <laughs> I, I, him and Nick probably compare pretty well, but I am out of shape. So, um, you know, the, the hey, D-backs, I, I, you've been, uh, clocking those miles though. I've seen. <laughs> I, I have the D backs are going to try to get me to lose a hundred pounds in the next two months. Uh, by losing all these games. He did tie up today's game, though. So uh, that's on right now as we're recording this. But uh, this is just, it's something that we're going to see in the landscape of college football. So I i feel like this time next week, it's just going to be a segment. We're going to have these guys opted out, and it's going to be a big old list of them, and we're going to have to go over who the important ones are. You know what I mean? Because we're going to get that many. I, I hope I'm wrong. Like Nick said, as a a college football fan, I want to see the best players out there, but I, I can't imagine that we don't get a lot of guys opting out. So um, moving on to more news here, former Iowa linebacker Dylan Doyle had his transfer waiver approved, and he will be eligible to play for Baylor this season. Uh, expect him to compete for a starting spot immediately. So uh, you like this move, right, Nick? Yeah, I mean, he's the uh, strength coach's son there at Iowa who uh, they parted ways earlier this winter. Uh, he was and, like, I'll uh, go to Baylor. Nothing ever right. bad has happened there. Well, well you know, opportunity <laughs> if, you, if you're going to look for immediate playing time and, and who knows what sort of connections he has there, but uh, or, or, you know, as his father does. But uh, if you're looking for an opportunity for early playing time, Baylor is pretty much it. I mean, they brought back 
two starters from last year, brought in one, uh, you know, grad transfer from Arkansas State who's likely to, to start in that linebacker core. But, uh, you know, plenty, plenty of opportunities I would expect. And, and based on what I saw, some of the uh, Baylor uh, beat writers and blogs, things like that, uh, when this news broke, seemed to think that, that basically we could expect to see him penciled in uh, probably as starting middle linebacker. So I would expect him to play a lot. He played uh, a pretty good bit at, at Iowa, played 16 games and, and made a handful of starts. So uh, I would expect uh, that, that, you know, he'll be uh, ready to hit the ground running whenever it is that they get on the field. And, and you know, if you can add an immediate starter or somebody that's going to push for that, uh, it's good news for Baylor for sure. Your thoughts on this move, Xavier? Yeah, they need all the talent they can get. Um, now, Nick, I'm guessing this doesn't move the needle too much on their defensive rating. However, like you said, anybody with any kind of experience right now for Baylor is a welcomed uh, hand that's going to really have to help in the defense. The, that was their bread and butter last year. Uh, offensively, they'll probably have to rely more there this year, but you, you can never have too much defensive talent when you essentially lost all of it. Uh, so I think it's a good move uh, for him and for Baylor because he'll start – right away barring you know anything radical happening like an injury or something like that uh, i think he'll come right in and, and get er, snaps early on now um th- this move we talked about a little bit on the itl college fantasy football podcast because uh, it throws a wrench into drafts you know like the schedule isn't throwing us enough wrenches right now but uh quarterback jake constantina grad transfer uh from Oh God, Weber State. That's where it was. Weber State uh, transferred into Washington State, and now they already had three guys that could possibly start. You know, throwing Constantine here, and uh, now it's a giant mess. So, Nick, uh, I mean, it's nice options to have if you're Washington State, but it all of a sudden becomes a crowded quarterback room. Yeah, for sure. I would say that it was already uh, pretty crowded. Like you said, three guys were were certainly already. In the mix, uh, Cameron Cooper probably had a, a slight edge if, uh, if I were to handicap it, uh, just based on age really more than anything else. None of them have any uh, game experience, but really liked uh, what I had seen and read from Jaden Delora, the true freshman out of Hawaii, uh, probably was going to have an opportunity to uh, really legitimately challenge for that job in fall and, and potentially, you know, even if he doesn't get the start in week one, maybe wrestle it away by the end of the season. But adding a grad transfer, somebody that started uh, 23 games, has won a couple of Big Sky titles. Um, you know, this is a, a guy who has played a lot of football at the Duke division one level. Uh, and it's not necessarily that he was, you know, overlooked to, to get to that level. He signed with Boise state out of, uh, high school, went to junior college, uh, for a year and then ended up at, at Weber state and, and has played a lot of football. So I would expect that, you know, Nick Rolovich and that offensive staff probably wouldn't have made this move, uh, if they felt really comfortable about their quarterback, position heading into this year. And, and so I think that uh, Constantine, I'm not sure that I would necessarily pencil him in as the starter. I mean, all the other guys have, you know, been going through Zoom meetings and learning the playbook and, and things like that. But, uh, you know, I, I have to think that you bring a guy in like this uh, to play. And, and so, you know, I, I would, I penciled him in as, as the number two on our depth chart, but basically uh, split him 
and Cooper as the you know co-starters, according to how it factors into our numbers. Uh, but I would not be at all surprised if Constantine uh, starts week one, even coming in this late, uh, that this move just sort of seems like uh, maybe it's going in that direction. And, and he might not hold on to the job all year. Uh, I still think Delora probably has a, a good chance to be the starting quarterback when all is said and done. But, um, you know, again, you're, you're not bringing a guy in like this at this time uh, just to, to sit the bench, I don't think. Xavier, your, your thoughts on this move? I mean, uh, lots of options at Washington State now at least. Yeah, uh, that's not always a good thing, though. You know, y- you really hope at, at this point in the offseason, in a typical offseason, to kind of have the guy thought of right now, or at least the two guys. But to have three going into fall camp um, or whatever camp we have, um, you know, vying for the one position, it's really not an easy situation for anybody. And the last thing I want to see is Washington State roll out a two or three quarterback system when the year starts because they haven't been able to make a uh, make a decision. I think Nick hit it right on the head though. When you bring in a guy with this much pedigree, these many accolades under his belt, he's not coming in to you know sit on the bench. Uh, I, I think the job is his right now and it's his to lose. Uh, once again, when you have a season like this with coronavirus and everything else, people who have game time, uh, you know experience and have played in big moments, those are the guys that immediately get the jump up. Those are the guys who get the immediate uh, look at before ever looking at the kids who have never had a snap uh, in a big game or in a game period. So I think he's coming in with the job in hand, and I think it's his to lose at this point. Uh, I think he knows that, which is why he made the move, uh, because this is a big move for him. Weber State to Washington State. Washington State has had quarterbacks drafted, I think, in the last two or three drafts. So yeah. they have they have an opportunity here that if he has a good year uh, and, and you know, puts up the right numbers, then he has an opportunity to be one of those late round sleeper guys that can get drafted and make a team. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that pays off. Whoever starts, we know will put up big numbers, which yeah. is why this is such a big uh, subject for the CFF pods. But um, moving down here to Florida state and uh, Kalen Laybourne uh, has been, uh, booted off the team, uh, violation of team rules here, Nick. Uh, you know, he was going to be, he was going to compete with Spiller for touches. Now it looks like it's Spiller, but uh, you mentioned this on the ITL CFF pod as well, that, uh, you know, Norvell loves to use a multi-back system. So there's going to be other guys in the mix here for Florida State now. I think so. And, and you know, this is unfortunate. You never really like to see anybody get, get kicked off the team. Uh, if you're a Florida State fan, you certainly don't like to see a, a former five-star, a guy who was, uh, you know, going to be a starter or a co-starter, at least have the inside track to, to get this job. Uh, heading into the fall, so you know it's 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 gonna it's a big loss, and and uh, rumor has it uh, that Layborn was a bit of a uh, you know locker room cancer type guy. A couple mm-hmm. of uh, folks closer to the the program have uh, sort of indicated that. So uh, it, you know some within Florida State, you know, the Florida State fandom, see this as addition by subtraction and yeah and, you build you know, that reputation and people are not going to be upset when you get kicked off sure sure and and so you know you, you never like to see uh you know a guy lose an opportunity or or you know put himself in a situation where he's just going to lose that opportunity but uh you know for florida state jason carbon is is a talented guy coming in from texas a&m uh, i think assuming, I, filler. I, I keep oh, getting yeah. <laughs> yeah i think you uh, keep getting it screwed up so my head's swimming. I don't know. Uh, But, uh, you know, Corbin is is, uh, a talented guy 
and I thought he, he probably had the was my best bet to uh, be the leading rusher by the end of the season. But it seemed like they were going to split carries, as you mentioned, maybe you know sixty forty or, or something like that. But uh, they, you know, there there's a little bit of depth here. They did bring in a JUCO transfer, the Damian Webb, uh, who is I believe a, a TCU transfer, if, if my memory. Uh, serves or started at TCU, went to junior college, and then Florida State. Uh, Deontay Sheffield, who uh, I believe played a little wide receiver as well, but got in, into the game uh, in the Sun Bowl when Florida State was so limited at, at running back. So, you know, there there are some options. There's also a, a pretty talented true freshman, Lawrence uh, Tufili. But, uh, you know, to, to lose the guy that for all – likelihood was entering the season as, as the number one guy in most people's mind uh, is is not not great. You don't really like to, to start off a year like that. But if, in fact, it is a situation where it's maybe uh, addition by subtraction, maybe Florida State will be better for it in the long run. And yeah. you're – yeah, go ahead, Zavi. Yeah, uh, this is one of those moves for Norvell where um, it can go one or two ways. Either you're getting rid of our talent or you're getting rid of, rid of toxicity. And so I think, you know, uh, I think that this is huge for him. If it was a cancer in the locker room that this is, I'm going to put my foot down and I don't care how good you are, you're not going to ruin the the morale and the camaraderie of this locker room. Um, and I think that that's kind of the energy that Mike Norvell is. Uh, he, he's a no-nonsense guy uh, at some times. And, and I think that that's going to bode well in Florida. Um, he might have to be a little bit more lenient because it seems like Florida always has something going on down there uh, with all the schools. Uh, but uh, I think this is a good move for for Nor- Norvell to put his foot down immediately and not waver um, on his moral compass uh, right away. Yeah, you just uh, it's what I remember specifically. I don't remember it too much with Tom Herman, but I remember it specifically with Charlie Strong. Like he came in and there were a couple guys that were questionable personality wise. Boot. Got yeah, the, they were gone. Got the yeah. boot. They were gone immediately. It was not. It, it, you know, you just waited for one, one thing, one thing happened and you're gone. So, you know, if, if a guy has, uh, you know, you can get more leeway by being a team leader and doing the, the right thing. 90% of the time you mess up once. Okay. You build in a little leeway, but, uh, if you already have a bunch of coaches complaining about you and all that kind of stuff, it's just not going to last. So, um, you know, that that's unfortunate for labor and hopefully he'll uh, straighten himself out, land somewhere else. And, uh, you know, get going again, because like Nick said, five star recruit, we want to see those guys succeed. So hopefully he straightens out and uh, get gets everything right quickly here. But uh, the rest of the news here, uh, a lot of little things. Uh, Georgia Tech defensive lineman uh, Kelton Dawson, star in 2019, who entered the transfer portal this year, uh, actually returned to the Yellow Jackets. It's not something that we see a lot once a guy enters the transfer portal. But I feel like we've talked about this many times where you can always go back. You don't have to leave, but uh, this is one of the scenarios where he didn't leave. He decided to come back. Uh, former Virginia offensive lineman Jaquay Hubbard, who uh, had announced his intention to transfer to uh, junior college, actually enrolled at West Virginia. So it looks like he'll be heading over to the Mountaineers. Florida defensive lineman Elijah Conliff, who played 19 games, including two starts for the Gators, has had to medically retire. So I uh, wish him the best. Uh, uh, Ole Miss uh, starting linebacker Sam Williams has been suspended indefinitely following a felony arrest on July 24th. No good for him. Uh, Ravon Bonner for Illinois, the running back, um, has decided not to play. Same thing for Jack Cerny. 
the Illini also lost 29 uh, game starter Ricky Smalling to the transfer portal. So not a very good week for the Illini. Any thoughts on those, Nick? Uh, well, yeah. So, so a lot of the things that we saw earlier today when Caleb Fairley opted out said, because uh, I believe Adam Schefter maybe was the, the first to actually report it. And then there was a, a video that he released uh, that he had sent to ESPN uh, said that he was the first guy to opt out. But actually, Ravon Bonner, uh, I believe was was the first to opt out, and I don't know the exact wording on on Cerny, but said you know for personal reasons. So sounds like maybe a, a similar uh, decision was made. Bonner was expected to, you know, kind of kind of like Laybourne. I mean, had the the inside track to be the starter, to be the the top ball carrier for Illinois this year, and and they've got options there. And Mike Epstein probably uh, maybe the most talented guy that that they had there. Uh, but just hasn't been able to stay healthy. There's also a transfer from Western Michigan who we expect to uh, now, you know, move up the the pecking order and and get uh, a fair amount of carries, especially if Epstein's not able to bounce back from, you know, I believe a third straight season-ending injury of of some sort. So, uh, you know, they they certainly, Illinois, uh, a loss like this, uh, personnel-wise, is is not welcome. But again, everything we said before uh, about fairly, you know, you certainly understand somebody making this decision uh, right now. Uh, the loss of, of Sam Williams sounds like a, a really ugly situation there at Ole Miss, so I wouldn't expect uh, that he will return on the field. That's a big loss. He was, uh, uh, you know, really one of their uh, best players, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, linebacker was a strength for, for Ole Miss coming into this year. Uh, as we talked about a, a few weeks ago, but uh, you know, this personnel wise, again, is, is certainly a loss, but you know, maybe it's a, a, who knows, who knows what, what he was like in the locker room. If, if uh, these are the types of decisions he was making, but uh, we'll, you know, wait and, and learn more about it, I suppose, but uh, big loss for the rebels on the field for sure. Um, you know, everything else, uh, the, the Georgia Tech move was was somewhat interesting. Uh, I did not put Dawson back in the starting uh, lineup on our depth charts. I expect him to, to you know, contribute in the two deep and, and be in the rotation. But Georgia Tech has, has made some update uh, upgrades uh, through the transfer portal. A couple of guys uh, who will be playing this year who were not eligible uh, last year, first and foremost, uh, Antonio, uh, Antonius Clayton probably was going to uh, maybe elbow uh, Dawson out of a, a starting defensive end job. And, and with Antoine Owens coming back from injury, those guys are probably going to be the starters there for, for the Yellow Jackets. But getting an experienced guy, a guy who started seven games and, and played uh, in 12 in his career, certainly love to have more depth. And, and the ACC, as we're going to be talking about in a bit, uh, it's going to be tough. It's a, it's a pretty, you know, everybody's strength of schedule basically uh, to, you know, went up a notch with, with the move to 10 uh, conference only games. So uh, if that schedule does come out to, to fruition, seems like Georgia Tech are going to need as much depth as they can get on the defensive line. So this is certainly a positive for them. Every your thoughts on these moves here. Yeah. Um, I, I really like, the idea that the George uh, that Kelton Dawson decided to go back. Um, I think more more kids should give themselves the option to return back to the schools that they're thinking about transferring uh, away from. I think this is something that we will probably see more of going into next year. Uh, but I think that this is something that I, I think more athletes, when you make a decision to transfer, like 
Scott said, like Nick said, like I've said, you can always go back. And I think that you did make that decision based off of what is out there for you. And sometimes it's not always greener pasture. Sometimes you need to stay in there and fight. Um, and so I really, you know, I'm going I'm to harp on that one in particular. I really like that decision from him. And I think more players should should use that decision-making and looking at what's out there and not necessarily having to leave just because it's a different team or it's a different state or something like that. If it's a place where you can, where you feel like you can still come back and compete for a job and it's not completely washed, then yeah. But I think a lot of kids make the decision to transfer out. And they, once they enter that name in the transfer portal, I feel like they give themselves pressure to then leave after that rather than looking around and saying, well, I have an option, opportunity to still go back even if nothing is out there for me. I will I will interject just just a mm-hmm. little bit on that. And, and, you know, some guys don't get the option to come back sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a coach could say, hey, you go in the portal, that's it. And and that happens. But, you know, kudos to Jeff Collins and Georgia Tech. And, and there have been other situations that we've seen where guys have come in you know, looking for maybe it's a better opportunity to play or closer to home or, or whatever the circumstance may be. Mm-hmm. But then for, for I think it's it's a good thing, as you mentioned, if, if coaches and programs are welcoming uh, those guys back when, you know, it really sort of proves itself that this is the best situation. So kudos to Collins and, and uh, uh, hopefully he'll be, you know, back and, and contributing again in, in 2020. Right. We've got a lot of schedule stuff to go over here. And I I, got to tell you guys, I am getting so confused by by the schedule recently. I know you guys are absolutely with me on that point, too, because it's been weird. You know, uh, there's no other way to describe it. It's been very strange. And the NCAA approved a blanket waiver for teams to play week zero. I'd be starting August 29th. So literally 30 days or 31 days or whatever away from us recording this right now, and we have teams that are in full quarantine. Michigan State went in a second full quarantine, uh, I think today or yesterday, uh, because a couple more staffers tested positive for COVID. So it's um, the the extremes. Uh, The Rutgers go? Okay, so. Yeah, earlier today there was some some, uh, information that came out about uh, a party on campus apparently had something to do with uh, a, a flare up at, at Rutgers, and so it's you know something we're gonna oh. we're gonna be hearing a lot of. I, yeah, I and that unfortunately that has been the story a lot, uh, specifically recently. And uh, you know, uh, Oklahoma and Kansas just scheduled to play FCS opponents on uh, August 29th. So we have that schedule uh, kind of locked in. It seems like right now. Uh, Iowa State and Ball State agreed to play on September 12th. That would have been the date that the Cyclones were going to play against Iowa. Ball State lost two Big Ten opponents because they went to the conference-only schedule. And it appears that New Mexico and New Mexico State game, originally scheduled for September 19th, is going to be played week zero due to uh, you know New Mexico not wanting anyone to come in or out. They think they're Hawaii right now. Uh, for whatever reason. I know the governor has said that she wants no one. Uh, she didn't want them playing college football this year. So uh, I don't think that the universities are going to pay any attention to her, but um, the, I think they're going to just go ahead and play, but she, she would prefer for them not to play. So it's um, there's a lot going on. We of course had the ACC schedule announced today. And I think Nick, I was reading that is going to start, uh, is that the week of September 12th? Is that correct? So what I saw, and I, I sort of saw the grid that the ACC put out and, and 
on it, it doesn't have any specific dates and, unless I just missed it. People out there might, you, you might be absolutely right. I might've just, just missed that. Um, but I'm not September sure. 7th. <laughs> is That's that it? Okay. okay. So here it okay. is. I'm looking at CBS and I'm just reading off of their website. The ACC will begin its 2020 season the week of September 7th, originally mm-hmm. scheduled as week two non-conference games are to be determined and will be selected by the respective schools. The league will also move to one division with the top two teams playing in its conference title game. Yeah. Yeah. So no splits in divisions anymore. We're just one uh, big division. So that that's interesting, but uh, your thoughts on any of these other week zero and, and, you know, uh, teams quarantining and all that stuff is 30 days going to be enough time to ramp up these schools. You know, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's have to be right. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're just going to have to uh, keep our head on a swivel and, and uh, make updates as quickly as we can. And, and, you know, the players and coaches and, and administrators will be doing the same. The, the New Mexico, New Mexico state thing is, is interesting to me. Uh, like you mentioned, there, there's a, a really uh, restrictive, uh, you know, travel, uh, uh, there's some travel restrictions in, yeah. in place there. And so I don't believe it's official yet that, that that game would be moved to week zero. But uh, I saw that New Mexico's uh, game uh, that, that, you know, that week that it was originally scheduled to be played September 12th, they're actually now officially apparently uh, playing Idaho state who was supposed to be their first, Uh, opponent of the season. So it sounds a little confusing, but uh, it sounds like they were clearing it to say, okay, we can play this in in week zero or, or, you know, early in the season. And that way two teams from the same state won't have to, you know, nobody's coming in or out. Uh, It kind of makes sense that, Hey, if, if we can do this, you know, this, this is the way we can. So uh, I, I hope they do, you know, that's a, a, a longstanding rivalry. We've been playing a long time and, and hope that uh, we're able, as we're figuring out the whole scheduling of college football in general, uh, I, I'm, you know, I, I think it's important to uh, try to save those type of games when we can. And, and part of the interesting thing about the ACC is they're doing the 10 plus one. And one of the details I saw, and, and I'm not sure if this has changed because I, like I said, I saw him just put my head down, but um, it seems that uh, teams can schedule one out of conference opponent, but it has to be an in-state uh, program. Uh, and, and so they're trying to maybe preserve the games like Georgia, Georgia Tech, Florida, Florida State, Clemson. Louisville, Kentucky, Clemson, South Carolina. Absolutely. Something I saw as well, just really quickly. And, and I don't know if it's been uh, confirmed or not. It sounded like maybe there was a, a little bit of uh, brushback from the SEC commissioner, but there was some reporting uh, that the SEC is actually looking to go to 10 games conference only. So, you know, if that happens, you know, maybe the SEC says we're not interested in in, uh, preserving those games. And and that, of course, would be uh, a disappointment. But uh, I I hope that in a lot of cases when we can, if there's longstanding in-state rivalries, those games get, you know, priority of of some sort. Would love to see uh, those games continue if we're going to save uh, if we're going to save some games, I, I like the idea of trying to focus on saving, uh, you know, the games that mean the most to us uh, as fans and, and things like that. So uh, just something to watch as we work out all these details. 
Xavier, your thoughts on, uh, you know, the schedule being moved around week zero games potentially and uh, the ACC, you know, being the first of all these conferences to at least throw their schedule out there. Yeah, uh, my head hurts. Uh, I think that's thought number one. Uh, I think the rest of college football can say the same. Uh, and it's, a you know, if anybody's ever watched the movie The Replacements, uh, be prepared for a little bit of that in week zero. Uh, this is not going to be pretty. It's going to be, it's very, it's going to be ugly. It's going to be ugly first week of football. Uh, we're all going to be happy to have it back, you know, um, as long as it happens. But at the same time, it's going to be ugly. These teams only having about a month to get ready. Is, is it going to be putting a hodgepodge group of kids together? Uh, you know, first and foremost, I just want to make sure that, you know, injuries are limited in that week. Uh, you know, when, when you try to ramp up in only a month, the, the injuries that really can hamper kids or hamstrings, tightness in arms and shoulders, things that are nagging and hurt you for the entire year. So I, I just want to, you know, kind of put that out there that, you know, that first week zero, first probably three weeks of college football are probably going to be some of uh, the most up and down performances you've ever seen from some of these programs. Um, and, you know, kudos to the NCAA for approving the blanket waiver uh, almost a month after D3 did it. Uh, but, you know, I think that uh, this is going to be great for college football to have kind of a, you know, this is what we're going to do. The ACC has put down the gauntlet. And it's selling the rest of the college football. All right, we've put our blueprint out. How are you guys going to do the same? Are you going to follow it? Are you not? Uh, I think what the ACC is doing is uh, very commendable on their part because I think that at the end of the day, they're trying as much as possible to keep it within a certain radius, and I commend them on that. Uh, they're not saying, oh, we'll go play out in Washington and Oregon and wherever. Uh, we're going to try to keep it contained as much as possible, so I commend them on that as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're doing their best, and, and uh, I'm not going to argue that at all, of course, but – uh, you know, it, it's, I just, I can't imagine games being played in 30 days. That that's all for me. So, uh, you know, th they're scheduling them up and, and, and I like that. And I like that we're moving forward with everything mm -hmm. looking like it's going to be on time. But when you have, like we just mentioned full teams in quarantine right now, mm -hmm. um, and States having 14 day quarantine restrictions, who knows if they're going to waive those for college, uh, teams, you know, I, I'm, I'm guessing the governor of New Mexico wouldn't waive anyone coming in. Uh, she doesn't want them to play. So are they going to have to play those ones at neutral sites too? There's still a lot to figure out is all they're doing the best they can. And like you said, I got to commend them on that, but uh, it, it's messy it, yeah, and it's going to, absolutely, it's going to be a messy year. So hey, um, all I'm saying is hey, if, if more people opt out, I still have two years of eligibility left. <laughs> Call me up. You know, my, my Twitter's here, guys. I could get in game shape in 30 days if, right. if, I, if I can play for Clemson, Florida State, or company. Hey. What are you going to take, ballroom dancing? or what Oh, class? man, whatever, uh, whatever Lynn Swan took his entire career, I'm down. <laughs> I, I'm ready to go. You know, I'll take uh, are you I'll moving positions or are you staying at DB? What are you doing? Whatever you, you can go both right. ways. You got experience yeah. on both sides of the ball, right? That's I'll put right. my hand in the dirt if that needs to happen. Okay. There you go. <laughs> Look at that. You yeah. can borrow some of my weight. So, um, <laughs> yeah, let, let's uh, let's go and talk about we're doing the ACC and Notre Dame, who's playing an AC, uh, ACC schedule this year. Anyway, so we're just going to throw it there. I think they're in the ACC for basketball yes. baseball anyway, too, yes. aren't they? Yeah, so every other sport, football. I believe. Right. So it's just football, whether or not in the ACC. But uh, we're going to go talk about them now. We're going to start with Clemson. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, in the Natty last year, won it two years ago. 
one of the best teams in the country, no doubt. We got them uh, first in the ACC, uh, FBS ranked two, I believe, behind Alabama as far as team strength, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Clemson is is certainly – you know, among the national championship favorites, favorites to get back to uh, the college football playoff for sure. They uh, are, you know, I, I can already tell you, I've updated Clemson's uh, all of their information. They're favored in every game by at least a touchdown. <laughs> Notre Dame is uh, the closest at eight and a half points. Uh, next to that is Florida State at almost three touchdowns, 20, 20.78 points. So uh, on paper, Clemson is, you know, ready to go. Trevor Lawrence is, of course, uh, one of the best quarterbacks in college football. We saw him run a little bit uh, in the playoff and, and late okay. last season. You know, if he's not one of those players that, that opts out, which I certainly wouldn't, uh, you know, I, I think there's a possibility perhaps, but, you know, him being there and, and Travis Etienne coming back, uh, there are other weapons as well. Amari Rogers, uh, unfortunately, they did lose, you know, T. Higgins early to the NFL. And, and then, of course, uh, Justin Ross, to injury, two yeah. big, big losses there. But uh, Armani Rogers is set up to, you know, I think rack up uh, a lot of receptions, probably going to be targeted often in, in, you know, those intermediate routes out of the slot. Joseph Ngata and Frank Ladson are, are two bigger targets, uh, probably going to be on the outside. We should expect uh, Braden Galloway to get a little bit more involved. He, of course, was suspended most of last year, but we saw what he could do when he was eligible to come back in the uh, in the uh, the, the playoff and then national championship game. The, the weakness, if there is one for Clemson's offense is the offensive line, just because of inexperience, Jackson Carmen, you know, could be uh, an all American at left tackle, but he's the only guy coming back with more than just one game uh, of starting experience, but Clemson rotates a lot of guys. So they have, uh, you know, of course had a lot of blowouts. So they, they've been able to rotate guys in and out uh, as a result, but, they, you know, they do that anyway. So they do have, you know, everybody that's projected to start in, in our uh, depth chart on the offensive line has played in at least 11 games uh, in their career. So, you know, perhaps it's even a little stronger than we might expect uh, just based on, you know, counting returning starts and, and starters. Now, Defensively. Now, go ahead. Good. No, no. I, I was just going to defensively uh, similar. You know, they lost uh, some talented guys. They lost a first round corner in AJ Terrell. They lost uh, a first rounder and, and one of the most exciting uh, players that we've seen recent uh, in recent memory in Isaiah Simmons, the linebacker. So those are big losses. And then Tanner Muse and Kayvon Wallace as well uh, were drafted out of the secondary. But Darian Kendrick is an all ACC type guy. Uh, Nolan Turner is experienced, played in 44 games, you know, and, and still the, the they've got, you know, so much talent that they've stockpiled. The front seven should be very good regardless of, you know, how much experience returns at linebacker. I expect Clemson to, to you know, uh, if their roster looks uh, anything like it does right now, if and when we, we see these games played, especially if Trevor Lawrence is in the mix, I expect them to be favored in every game and, and probably should uh, go undefeated, maybe with the, the potential uh, upset possibility of, of playing at Notre Dame. But who knows what home field advantage is going to look like this year as well. But Clemson far and away the favorite in the ACC and, uh, you know, on the short list for, uh, national championship favorites for sure. Yeah, I mean, this is a great squad. Xavier, they do play some of their tougher games on the road. Uh, they have Miami at home and Virginia at home, but they got Florida State, Notre Dame, Votech, 
all on the road. I any chance they drop one? I mean, they're favored and everything here. Yeah, I mean, it's Clemson. Every year they pull one by the skin of their teeth. I mean, it's been NC State, UNC, Syracuse. Every year yeah. one game goes down to the down to the wire and it comes up to a missed field goal or like we saw last year, a, a botched uh, or a missed two-point conversion. You know, Clemson's going to give some team a game. Uh, they're going to allow them to stay in it. Uh, it just happens. It just and you really can't guess who it's going to be because it's gone from any like a basement team in Syracuse a couple years ago to UNC last year, who was a pretty decent team in NC State before that. So you really don't know where it'll happen. You just know it will happen. Um, and whether they lose or not is, is purely up to sometimes luck for them. Uh, but this is a team that I think will focus heavily on getting back to the quarterback. Uh, the, the days of Christian Wilkins and company is over. And you really saw that last year hamper them in the playoffs, uh, that they could not get pressure on the QB whatsoever. Uh, Xavier Thomas and company really have to, uh, they're going to focus really heavily on that. And that's going to be the strength of their defense this year, I think, uh, because they, they focus so much about it. Uh, obviously losing the talent that you didn't in a secondary that was so veteran. I mean, they had played in what? Back-to-back-to-back playoffs. Uh, going into last season. And so, yeah. uh, you know, you lose that kind of experience. And, and, you know, when we talk about a team like Clemson, we can't just talk about them in the sense of what they're going to do in conference because we all kind of expect Clemson to go undefeated, if not, you know, if not at the very least win their conference. We're kind of talking about them in the national championship scope. Uh, so, so when it comes to that secondary, it's going to be young. Um, there's a lot of guys there that have not had substantial amounts of snaps at that kind of level. And so I'm willing to see, I want to see what they'll look like when they're playing, you know, against an Alabama, you know, or, or anybody like that, or, or USC, Oregon, or Texas or Oklahoma, uh, where now you're playing the cream of the crop. And that's really what, where this Clemson team is for me is the lack of production in some of the key spots like corner, like linebacker do worry me a little bit in a national championship uh, aspect. Uh, but once again, this offense is going to be ridiculous. Getting Travis into back was probably the biggest return for any team in the country. Um, and he's explosive. He'll probably be the first running back taken off the board. Um, you know, Clemson might have the first receiver, yeah, quarterback and running back taken off of the board next year. Uh, and it's very well possible uh, that offense is going to be ridiculously explosive, even with Justin Ross not being able not being available for the year. Uh, and they're going to have to carry that defense at times this year, uh, next year. And I'm willing to see it. And I think. I'm excited for this. I think Trevor Lawrence just gave us a taste of what his feet can do. I think Sunshine is going to have us uh, – is going to give us some more than we uh, didn't see last year. And I think that that's going to be a part of their offense that nobody's going to see coming um, until he until he does it and he runs for a, a buck 20 in a game. And I think we might see it early on in the year. Yeah, and uh... – <laughs> Look, I, I love this team, and they're going to be national title contenders. <laughs> I, I just, I, you know, with some of these opt-outs, I just get to thinking about, you know, Trevor Lawrence is already a top-five pick. Easy, you know. Uh, I don't think he's going to come off of that unless he gets hurt. And with guys opting out, I wouldn't be shocked to see some of those top-end guys from the draft opt-out. So we may this may be a different discussion at some point later on in the offseason. Should some of these guys decide to opt out, maybe, you know, Etienne or Lawrence or some of these guys. But you would think, you know, I, I feel like if Etienne plays, everybody's got to play because yeah. he came back. He put his his NFL career on hold. He would have been a very high pick uh, in, in this year's draft. And uh, he put his NFL career on hold to come back to try to win another natty. So uh, I, I think people have to respect that. So we'll see. You know, every every case is individual and all that stuff. But let's go to the only other top 10 team 
in the ACC here for this year, and it's Notre Dame. Notre Dame, we have at nine. Um, you know, we had them uh, ranked, you know, projected to win nine of their ten games right now, uh, everything except the Clemson game. And their Vegas insider total before the schedule was even lowered was nine. So uh, th there's a, a lot to unpack here with Notre Dame, especially with them being in a conference this year, which is going to be a weird look, Nick. But uh, Notre Dame, uh, always a team that is, uh, you know, at least hovering around the top 10, if not in it. Yeah, for sure. And and Notre Dame, it, it sounds like, is, is going to keep their game with Navy. Uh, that was not rescheduled after it was, uh, to my knowledge, after it was moved from Dublin. I know they said that they would play it in Annapolis, but I, I believe the actual date was still up in the air. But it, it sounds like they're going to keep that game. So Notre Dame, at least as of now, has its, its 11 games. Uh, and, and really, I, I think they uh, sort of lucked out in, in a way that the schedule that they ended up with uh, just ran some, some really quick numbers in terms of the team strength, the average team strength that they'll be facing this year ranks 13th out of these uh, 15 ACC teams uh, and then the average roster strength. So, you know, what level of talent are they facing uh, ranks 14th. So, you know, getting the Dukes, the Syracuse, Boston College, uh, Wake Forest on the schedule. Uh, they, they kept Clemson, of, of course, and, and that will be, you know, the, the big one for the ACC regular season, at least as it stands right now. But uh, the schedule for Notre Dame for this to be the, the one year uh, we think that, that they'll be in the ACC, I think they've got a really good shot of making it to the ACC championship game and, and getting a rematch there uh, with Clemson. Uh, Ian Book coming back, very experienced. He, he was uh, not uh, super consistent. He, he had a, really big games and, and, you know, against some weak opponents, Bowling Green, New Mexico, things like that. But uh, I, I like the growth I saw from him uh, throughout the season. I, I'm a little concerned about the lack of playmakers. Uh, we don't know who the, the starting running back is going to be. I've got three guys listed as potential starters, Jafar Armstrong, Trevor Spades from uh, the Stanford transfer, and then Jameer Smith. Also really, really like Chris Tyree, the true freshman who could challenge, I think. He's, he's a small guy, not probably going to carry a heavy workload, at least uh, right now, listed at, at below uh, 180 pounds. But as far as just pure talent, he's the highest rated guy, according to 247 Sports. And, and according to our numbers, when we factor in uh, experience and production, he's the highest rated running back on the roster, according to BGR+. Plus. So I would expect him to get plenty of touches. He's blazing fast and, and going to be really, really exciting. Kevin Austin at, at wide receiver coming back from a suspension last year, probably going to be the number one wide out. They've got a couple of other options. Uh, Javon McKinley did a couple of good things. He's, uh, you know, was really highly uh, rated and, and recruiting coming out of high school, but uh, really didn't play much or produce much until uh, last year, made a couple of starts. And, and I'm interested to see how Bennett uh, Skronik, the no Northwestern transfer, uh, if he's going to be able to, to break into that uh, starting lineup and, and joining Austin and, and Braden Lindsay and, you know, maybe challenge McKinley for that third role or, or maybe number two. Uh, this could be one of the best offensive lines in, in college football. They rank second, according to our numbers, 
five starters are coming back, all five guys, very experienced, and, and they've got some depth as well because three guys suffered you know pretty significant injuries last year and, and missed some time. So if those guys are all back and healthy, uh, they are good and, and they are deep on the offensive line. And, and if you're playing you know inferior competition from a, a talent standpoint, you can really lean on that offensive line. And, and so I think that sets up really well for Notre Dame. Defensively, the the biggest question on paper is in the secondary. They only have one full time starter coming back, Sean Crawford. He's coming into a sixth year because he's he's gone through a, quite a bit of uh, injury history. But Cal Hamilton was you know a, a freshman All American type guy. Only started one game, but played a ton, put up uh, really really solid numbers. And they added uh, some impact, immediate impact transfers who have some starting experience. Isaiah Pryor from Ohio State, uh, Nick McLeod from NC State to to sort of shore up uh, that unit. The front seven should be quite good. I mean, they've recruited well there. They've developed guys pretty well. Uh, so, you know, two starters coming back in the interior of the defensive line and, and two linebackers coming back who were starters last year. So I think Notre Dame, you know, they're, they're a top 15 team as far as pure talent goes. They're ranked in the top 10, as you mentioned, according to our team strength uh, ratings, power ratings, because Brian Kelly uh, has has done pretty well as, as a head coach, according to uh, the way we factor our numbers. He's almost a 95 rating in our, our head coaching rating. So gives them even a little bit of a boost uh, above what just their talent is. So I like Notre Dame a lot. I, I thought they, you know, could be a potential dark horse uh, playoff team, even with the previous schedule. Uh, and I think this schedule sets up even better. So I think they can get through, you know, nine and one, 10 and one uh, with that game against Navy and then have an opportunity if they beat Clemson one of those two times and, and, you know, the schedule holds and, and they're 11 and one. It's hard to imagine a situation where they don't get in uh, to the playoff. I think just that Notre Dame name and a win over Clemson uh, is probably going to be enough resume wise, of course, depending on how everything else shakes out. But mm -hmm. Notre Dame is, is certainly a, a contender, I think, for the ACC championship, as, as weird as that is to say, and to make <laughs> it back to the playoff for the first time in a couple of years. Man, uh, I mean, glowing reviews for Notre Dame from Nick. Pretty Xavier, uh, yeah, Xavier, you're you're always positive, especially when it comes to teams like Notre Dame that have a big following that you may or may not agree with. So, what are your thoughts on the Fighting Irish this year playing in the ACC? Scott, you're doing this to me, so I'm nice to them. Um, but I think I, I genuinely think. When I look at Notre Dame, if I had to give them a team comparison to maybe a previous year, I think they're built a lot like Georgia was last year. Uh, this is going to be a team led by a senior quarterback with an amazing offensive line, but with no receivers returning. You lose Chase Claypool, you lose Cole Komet as your number one in two guys. Uh, he won't have a guy returning for him that caught over 400 yards uh, of receiving last year. Just kind of give you an idea of who he's going to be throwing to this year. And so I think you're going to see a lot of growing pains, a lot of them. You know, you don't have the offseason. Um, and you're gonna you're gonna really have to rely heavily on the run game and their defense to win them ball games. That doesn't bode well against a Clemson team that's going to probably make that game attract me. Uh, but other than that, their schedule is very favorable for them. You know, uh, I don't want to call the, the the schedule cupcakes because I'd like some teams in here. I like the game against Louisville. I think that's gonna be a competitive matchup. I like North Carolina, of course. I think that's gonna be a competitive matchup as well. But on paper, at the very least, Notre Dame looks like it should be a team that runs the table after Clemson. Um, it gives themselves at least an outside chance of making it in what's going to be a really hectic year. Uh, you know, do I want to see Notre Dame in the playoffs? No. Uh, but at the same time, I think I would be a fool to think that they couldn't get in. Uh, this is a defense that 
returns a bunch of production. And I think that that's where they're going to, you know, make their name and, and hold, you know, teams to under a certain amount of points. I wouldn't be surprised if come the end of the season, Notre Dame has one of the better defenses in college football um, statistically. Um, but once again, it's going to be come down to whether or not Ian Book can get right with those receivers. As we saw last year with Jake Fromm, you know, no matter how good your quarterback is, if he cannot get on a consistent, you know, rapport with his receivers, the offense sputters all year in different situations. And you even saw that when Notre Dame played Georgia last year, they could not throw the football um, on third down and long. And it, they really struggled against high end defensive talent because they couldn't get the ball um, into the right places. So, you know, that's their biggest question mark for me. If they can figure that out, then I think they're a team that can easily go nine and one um, and give themselves an opportunity to make the playoff. Oh, quick question. What? Uh, so with this scenario, are they one of those teams that if they were to lose to Clemson, could they be in that perfect position where they just need other teams to lose in front of them at the end of the year and they don't have to play in a conference championship? I don't think so. Uh, I don't think it would work out that way. Yeah, okay. not not this year with um, with the limited schedule. And, and you know, I, I think we're going to see so many undefeated teams this year. I think most teams are going to move to playing, you know, conference only. So, um, okay. We'll, we'll we'll see what happens, but I think there's going to be too many undefeated teams for them to sneak in with even one loss to you know the best team. Should Crimson right. end up being the best team? Uh, going over uh, to Florida State, who we've got second in the Atlantic, 26 overall here, so a significant drop out of the top 10. Clemson and Notre Dame, and you know we talked about this before when we were doing the All ACC team about how it's uh, a lot, a lot, a lot of Clemson. Uh, but Notre Dame sneaking in here now, making it a little bit of a rougher go for them. But Florida State, uh, you know, the expectations are low because they've been bad the past couple years for outsiders. But I know Florida State fans are saying, okay, we got a new coach. This guy has made Memphis relevant the last couple years. He's got to come in and, you know, coach up all these five stars and make us uh, way more relevant. So your thoughts on Florida State for this season, Nick? I feel like I can sort of rinse and repeat what I've said in, in previous shows about USC and, and Texas and like I'm probably going to say about Miami before very long. And, and, you know, this is a very talented team that has underperformed. And, you know, I, I expect them to bounce back in, in uh, some way. I, I do like the Mike Norvell hire. Uh, our numbers really, really like Florida State specifically on defense. Actually, uh, our numbers believe that they're the second most talented defense in college football, have a, a, the number two defensive line, the number three secondary, and a top 25 linebacker unit. Uh, similar to what we said about Texas and, and USC, defensively suffered a lot of injuries last year. So, you know, they, they had some development issues of course they, they've had some uh coaching issues that hopefully now they'll be able to overcome but uh on paper you know this Florida State team is really good and and they're experienced they've got three starters returning on the defensive line uh, really four starters turning on the on the defensive line and then uh, a couple of guys that uh, were able to get some experience when Marvin Wilson went down Joshua Kendo went down uh, last year and, and they brought in some transfers they brought in uh, the nation's leader in interceptions Miko Dotson uh, who was at FAU last year uh, came to Florida State as a grad transfer he started 10 games but he had I believe nine interceptions last year he'll join you know a Asante Samuel Jr. and uh, Hanson uh, Nazir Ladeen. I, I apologize, but somebody that we spoke about quite a bit in our 
uh, All America uh, team uh, previews and, and our All ACC team previews. So defensively, Florida State is is set. Uh, offensively, they've got some talent. Tamarian Terry is an All ACC type guy. He's a, a pretty highly rated as far as you know NFL draft prospects. Six four, I believe. I saw earlier today he's up to in the two twenties as far as his weight goes. So uh, he's somebody that is is really well put together. Is has been productive, uh, but like Marvin Wilson, someone unexpectedly decided to come back to Florida State instead of uh, entering the NFL draft as a junior. So he'll be the top guy. There are other, you know, experienced guys in that receiving core. Uh, James Blackman started 23 games. Usually that's great for, for a quarterback coming back. Of course, he's been inconsistent, and, and there is some thought that uh, Chubba Purdy, uh, younger brother of uh, Brock Purdy from Iowa State, uh, could come in and, and wrestle this job away. The loss of Kalen Laybourne certainly uh, hurts depth at the running back position, but as has been the case the last few years, the offensive line is, is still the biggest yep. question mark. The offensive line is, you know, uh, similarly talented uh, as far as just the O-line strength rating. They're right around an 80, which is average, FBS average. But this is not played like even an average uh, unit the, the last few years. In fact, according to our O-line performance ratings, uh, by the way, there's a lot of there was a lot of bad offensive line play in, in the ACC last year. But Florida State was the worst of the group. They ranked 127th in uh, those advanced stats that, that we look at and, and combine, combine into our offensive line performance rating. So worst in the ACC, they bring back three starters from that group. They add a, a transfer, uh, Devontae Love-Taylor from FIU. And, you know, maybe there, there are some uh, talented guys that will be better developed under Mike Norvell and a Mike Norvell uh, coaching staff. But one thing to note, Norvell was not able to bring his offensive line coach from Memphis because uh, he's now the head coach there. So they brought in uh, from Charlotte, who I believe was the offensive coordinator at Charlotte and now is the offensive line coach at Florida State. Really, really highly regarded potential uh, head coach before long. But, you know, to my knowledge, haven't haven't worked together, at least not in recent years. So uh, that's a little bit of a concern. They're going to need to improve on the offensive line. But if they get that taken care of, and if the defense really does play uh, to the level it's it's capable of, uh, you know, last year was certainly hit and miss. They ranked 50th in, in defensive team performance rating. But if that can be a top 10 unit, uh, then Florida State is going to win a lot of ball games. And, and we've got them uh, favored in seven of these games. Uh, they are about a three-touchdown underdog to Clemson, as we discussed. Uh, it's a coin flip against Miami, and that's on the road. So if it's, you know, home field advantage isn't uh, worth two and a half points, then that game basically is a virtual coin flip, uh, 50-50. And, and then there are two touchdown underdog at Notre Dame. That was a, a tough addition to the schedule for Florida State. But, you know, pretty tough schedule, but, but they are talented enough to beat really any of those teams. On the right day, they could be the team that, that Clemson uh, lets get a little too close, as Xavier was mentioning earlier. So Florida State is going to be a uh, contender, I think. I think they're going to take a step in the right direction. But it's difficult to bank on a first-year head coach. So, uh, you know, seven wins sounds about right. I don't, you know, if they could pick off one of those three, Clemson, Miami, and, and Notre Dame, I think you counted as a win and, and you know, or counted as a, a – 
uh, a successful season, probably, especially if you take care of business in the games you're supposed to win. So Florida State could be a top 25 team, but, you know, like we said with USC and Texas and, and teams like that, they haven't really shown it to us recently. Uh, Florida State this year, Xavier, just uh, it's asking a lot for a new head coach to come in, even with the talent that they have to turn this team around so quickly. So I think Nick is absolutely right with the seven win expectation for them. Uh, your thoughts on Florida state for this season. Yeah. I mean, this, this Florida state team for me goes as far as James Blackman is going to take them. Uh, we, we all remember good Bubba, bad Bubba at Ole Miss. It's going to be good Blackman or bad Blackman this year uh, for Florida state, or they're going to have to do what they did last year. And they're going to have to platoon swap at the quarterback position what they did last year with Alex Honeybrook. And, and we saw that that had its own problems uh, throughout the year. No continuity really with the receivers Tamori and Terry didn't have the year that we all expected him to, um, you know, and, and the talent is there. I mean, the, the skill set, the receiver position is, is some of the best, in the ACC, and if they can get it right, you know, as they did early on in the year, they'll be able to compete with anybody on their schedule. Um, you know, and that includes Clemson. This is this is a Florida State team that talent-wise, every year comes in with an opportunity to, you know, win out. It's all between the years, typically for them, and, and consistency. And they have not been able to show that consistency uh, since Bowden left, really. Uh, or sorry, excuse me, since Jimbo left. Uh, but um, – so this offense for me is, is going to be huge because they can't rely on a guy like Cam Akers to just blow the game wide open for them. You know, they relied on him heavily last year uh, in games where James Blackman or Alex Hornibrook wasn't playing well. They don't have that crutch anymore. They don't have that guy that they can sit, you know, give the ball to 25 times and say, go get us 150 yards and two touchdowns. Um, you know, they don't really have that. And it's going to be more so down on Tamori and Terry and James Blackman to get, and, and, you know, and DJ Matthews and company to get that down early on in the season. Um, but Nick, you hit it right on the head. And this is something we'll probably say about Miami as well. Their offensive line has got to step up. It's been God awful. It's been so terrible. Um, you know, James Blackman needs the Kevlar vet vest that Vic was wearing a couple of years ago to protect his rib cage. I mean, it's, it's been really bad. Uh, and, and so if they can step up, uh, which is weird because when you have an offensive line that bad, you don't expect a, a running back to go over a thousand yards, but that's just how good Cam Akers was to kind of give you guys an idea. Uh, but, you know, defensively, aren't they always just completely studded out with, you know, athletes yeah. all over the field? Uh, you know, it, you expect this defense to hold teams to keep them in ball games. You know, Asante Samuel Jr., uh, uh, sorry, Marvin Wilson, Corey Durden. These are these are guys who are probably going to be mid first rounds, if not early first round draft picks and, and will not be on the board by the end of the second round. Uh, so you expect the defense to play up to its ability and, and be able to keep the, the game, uh, the offense in games when they're not playing well. It's just whether or not the offense like gives it away, like they did last year in the Sun Bowl versus Arizona state where James Blackman threw four picks, you know, so that's the good and the bad for Florida state. Um, first year with Mike Norvell, there's going to be growing pains. Uh, there's going to be games where he looks like he's a genius. There's going to be games where you're like, you look like a dunce. Uh, and, you know, but that's kind of just how the first years in college football typically go. Most first years aren't like, you know, most first years aren't great. Nick Sabins wasn't great. You know, Kirby Smarts wasn't great. And I don't know. And Mike Norville has a really good situation here. But once again, growing pains are going to happen. I think seven to eight wins is exactly what they are capable of, uh, which would only give them two losses on the year. My biggest question is outside of Clemson, who do they lose to? Um in my, thing, in my idea, it could be Louisville. It could also be Notre Dame, uh, but it also could be North Carolina, or they could lose all four of them. Uh, that's just how weird this Florida State has team has been yeah. over the last couple of years, uh, you know. So, uh, Florida State and, and Florida, and we'll kind of say, I'll kind of kind of say the same thing about Miami. They're just really talented teams that have not been able to live up to their own abilities yet. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. And uh, it, it's going to be a lot of fun watching Norvell this year. I just would temper my expectations without, you know, spring practices. And now we haven't seen fall practices for a lot of teams. And uh, who knows uh, when they're going to get in and start getting work put in. So uh, th that's all uh, I would say about uh, Florida State. Now, moving down one spot in the national rankings is uh, the Miami Hurricanes. And uh, normally I'd break it up into each division, but since we read earlier that the ACC is going into one big division this year and it's just going to be the top two teams playing in the ACC championship, we can bump right down to Miami, who we have ranked at 27th. Obviously, you know, the big studs for them are on the defensive line in Russo and uh, Quincy Roach or Roche. I can't remember how we say his name, um, but uh, also bringing in an absolute stud at quarterback in De'Ara King, who was somehow just announced the starter there, which is always kind of funny. It's like, oh, look, he's going to be starting. Like, yeah, everyone knew that. So we, we didn't have to have you say that. That's why he came in there. Um, this is another team a lot like Florida State. The, the players are there, but they haven't made it, uh, they haven't made it work yet. And a lot of that is, has been attributed to the, um, you know, musical chairs. They've been playing at quarterback recently, Nick, and, uh, looks like they got their guy now. So expectations are going to be pretty high, even if it's just for a season for him. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think that Miami probably will go as far as Derek King takes them. I mean, he, he is a, a player who was, Highly, highly productive. Very exciting at Houston. Uh, you know, I've, I know I've mentioned this line a bunch. I'm sure everybody else has have it memorized by now. But he scored 50 touchdowns in 2018 before, in 11 games before suffering a, a season-ending injury. So, uh, you know, taking a step up in competition, especially with an, an all-conference schedule. But uh, De'Ara King's a talented guy. He, he's, you know, on the smaller side, listed under six feet and under 200 pounds. Uh, you know, but but he's a very, very athletic uh, guy, played wide receiver early in his career, so uh, certainly can do damage on the ground, but he's a he's a good passer, and, and we shouldn't just think, okay, he's, you know, just looking to run. No, he, he can use his mobility uh, to buy a little bit of time, have a receiver get open and, and hit a big pass play. He's, he's very accurate, good rhythm passer. I really, really like Derek King, and I think Xavier mentioned it. I mean, it's it's going to depend on the offensive line. And Miami, we've heard, you know, already that they've been doing uh, quite a bit of shuffling. Uh, they actually had a, a player opt out, announced that he was going to redshirt uh, Navon Donaldson, who we talked about uh, several weeks ago, that, that took a bit of a, a hit to the experience and, and, you know, to the, the flexibility that they were to have on that offensive line. But they did add a, a uh, graduate transfer from Houston, uh, Jared Williams, who hopefully will come in and, and solidify one of those tackle spots. And then, you know, the other four starters are, are coming back from last year. And a lot of the things that I've seen expect John Campbell Jr., who made one start and, and has 11 games of experience as a, a sophomore, uh, to, to be in the mix to, to get one of those starting jobs as well. So if that unit, I think, can, can keep uh, King upright and can give him time to operate. Miami could be very dangerous offensively. I really like the Rhett Lashley hire, bringing him, him in from SMU. Uh, a lot of folks remember Lashley, who was basically Gus Malzahn's right-hand man at Auburn uh, and prior to that, but, but for a lot of years uh, was an offensive coordinator there and, and somebody who's you know had success in, in systems, 
running the football, has had success uh, operating at a high tempo. Last year at SMU, uh, we saw an offense that threw the ball quite a lot, took advantage of the tight end position. Miami has one of the most talented and athletic tight ends in the country in Brevin Jordan. If they can get a young receiver crew to, to you know, jump up and, and if a running back can, you know, take the, the carry the load. SMU had two guys last year that uh, rolled in and, and, you know, rotated and, and put up a lot of yards, scored a lot of touchdowns. If Cameron Harris, Robert Burns, those guys coming back or, or true freshman Jalen Knighton and, and Don Chaney Jr. If one or two of those guys can, you know, solidify that uh, spot and the offensive line again, you know, gels and comes together, this could be a very dangerous Miami offense. And Scott, you mentioned already the defense is, you know, about as good as we could hope for on the defensive line, certainly right. for pass rushers. And, you know, Gregory Rousseau, Quincy Roche, Roche, uh, there, that's, that might be the two best uh, defensive end, the best defensive end combination in college football. It's quite possible. They are, I believe, what, the top two returning sack guys, right? Or, or you know, if pretty not, close. Two, yeah. pretty close. So uh, that's huge. They were able to redshirt uh, Zach McLeod last year, who started 32 games at linebacker. So that unit's not completely inexperienced. Uh, the secondary could be a little shaky, but as Xavier mentioned, a lot of talent there. And they also hopefully solidified the kicking position, bringing in FIU transfer uh, Jose Borregales, who uh, played a role in, in upsetting Miami last year. Uh, for for FIU, so I really look really at Nick dropping team. the kicker knowledge. Yeah, I was like, too. I was like, that might be a first. Hey, sorry, man. <laughs> I'm just rolling through the team profile. Hey, this yeah, is yeah, right. you okay. got left. Drop it, man. Right, yeah, but but you know, Miami is is a team that our numbers have liked all along. Things have gotten. Uh, a little worse for them, I think, in, in the schedule. Uh, they are favored in, uh, it looks like, all but two games in, in ACC play. They are a, a big-time underdog against Clemson, as to be expected. And, and then uh, right now, one-and-a-half points underdog uh, at Virginia Tech. And, again, that includes our, our uh, 2.5 points for home field advantage. I saw something from Bill Connolly earlier today that he's probably going to drop his home field advantage to one point to start the season. So if we were to do that, then that would bring this to a 50-50 toss-up, you know, uh, across the board. So uh, I could certainly see a situation like that, that for us to make a similar decision. And in that case, you know, things set up pretty well uh, for Miami. They have a lot of close games. They're less than a field goal favored against uh, Florida State, according to our numbers four and a half points, North Carolina, and that game is at home. So that would be closer again if we adjust home field advantage and about a touchdown against Pitt, who uh, that defensive line, if Miami doesn't have its uh, offensive line, you know, solidified, that that could get ugly. So, you know, that that's certainly a matchup to watch. But then they're also about a field goal uh, favorite against Louisville. So a lot of games that could go either way. And I'm optimistic that Miami can – uh, make a big step forward, take a big step forward in the second year under Manny Diaz. I, I was uh, quite happy that our numbers really had a real uh, a good read on this Miami team last year. They were a lot of people's favorite in the Coastal coming into last year and, and expected a solid first year under Diaz. And our numbers didn't like them. They were mid-40s, uh, middle of the pack in the ACC. And that you know, worked out decently well, according to uh, our numbers, how things shook out. So hopefully we've also got a, a good read on them again this year and, and think that they uh, can compete because 
on paper, they look really, really good. Very few weaknesses outside of that offensive line. Xavier, your thoughts on the Hurricanes for 2020? Whew. Um, I really am worried about this team inside. Uh, defensive tackle and linebacker for them are going to be two positions that they're going to be relying a lot on younger guys on. You know, Zach McLeod being able to register him last year is huge because, I mean, they lost some of the names kind of, you know, associated with Miami over the last three to four years. Uh, you know, Shaq Quarterman, Michael Pinckney, and Romeo Finley, just to, you know, th- those were the guys at the linebacker position for pretty much the last three seasons, um, um, as well as Zach McLeod. But that's that's something that worries me. You know, uh, they have not, you know, as good as those defensive ends are going to be, you know, the, the the killer to most teams is if he's able to, is if they're able to get pressure inside. And, and without being able to do that, it's going to be really tough for those defensive ends to even make anything shake or make anything work because people are just going to be like, well, I, I, we can step up into the pocket. We can step right around them. Uh, so it's going to be that's going to be my main focus for uh, Miami this year on whether or not it's their defense can play up to their ability talent-wise. Offensively, once again, they're losing a lot of talent. You know, they lost Jeff Thomas. DJ Dallas is gone as well. And so they're going to be looking for some guys to step up. Uh, and, and De'Eric King is going to have to look in prime form for this Miami team to really make some noise on the ground and through the air. Uh, he's going to have to make early on in the year, he's going to have to make a lot of plays where there aren't any. Um, and, and I think he's capable of doing that. I just wonder if his, you know, the cast around him is willing to come with him on that. Uh, because I think that he's a guy who can change ball games, change teams and make, you know, an average team or an above average team. Good. Uh, but that's, that's, solely relying on whether or not his skill position guys also step up with him. And that kind of worries me as well. I think this Miami team can win seven games. I think they can, they can be a bold, uh, a bold team uh, with pretty, with, with relative ease. I think that they'll have, they can finish with a better record than they had last year. Uh, just simply based on the rest of the competition in the ACC, but it's always up to them. Once again, kind of like what I said, and I hate to, that Florida state Miami are so similar in this way. They have to perform up to their ability. Miami oftentimes plays down to their to the teams that they play against. Uh, you know, they typically do not play. They, they play up for big games. We watched them play exquisite against, you know, uh, Florida State last year, but then they played suckful against Georgia Tech. And it's like, how are you How are you doing this? From suckful. Week? You know, so. I like that. Exquisite and suckful. Yeah, that from Miami, and so I, I seven wins is what I expect from a ball club like this, especially Manny Diaz's second year. I expect them to get better incrementally. Uh, they just have a, a lot of they just have some holes in some key spots, like linebacker, like interior defensive lineman, and at their skill positions offensively, that still you know make me reserved on making uh, any ridiculous statements about their win total. Now, you're absolutely right about the ACC, and I think we've covered the teams with by far the most talent. And then we have other teams. It's kind of two globs left in the ACC (laughs) after this. It's a glob of teams that are uh, supposed to hover somewhere around 500, especially within this conference. We wouldn't be surprised if someone came out of this group that, uh, you know, propelled themselves to the higher level of Miami and Florida state and teams like that. I don't think anyone else is getting to the Clemson Notre Dame area, but there's a lot of talent on these teams and they're all, hovering around between projected to win or favored to win in six to four games. And those teams are Louisville, who we have at 43 overall. Uh, Then we have NC State at 56. And then uh, Virginia Tech, we have favored in eight games, actually. Uh, North Carolina is favored in six. 
Virginia is favored in six, and Pitt is favored in five. Duke is favored in four. So I guess Virginia Tech, Nick, probably uh, a step ahead of those other schools. Of course, losing fairly is going to hurt a lot. But um, that next group is kind of all in the same range here as far as talent goes. Yeah, for sure. And and the probably a, a lot of people's favorite out of that glob, as you put it, is is uh, North Carolina. Uh, they're uh, you know sort of a, a hot team at the you know early in the preseason with uh, the growth that they showed last year in Mac Brown's first year. The offense, of course, took a, a really nice step forward under Sam Howell, uh, one of the one of the you know most exciting sophomore quarterbacks in the country, and, and uh, has a lot of weapons to work with. Daz Newsom, Deami Brown, uh, and Bo Corrales, really you know all three guys coming back last year, but Newsom and Brown were both uh, excellent and uh, set up for uh, a really solid second year with Howell throwing to them this year. They've got experience at running back. Javante Williams and Michael Carter both coming back uh, to, you know, really productive guys. They have uh, technically four starters back on the offensive line, though uh, one of those players is, is likely to lose his job or, or had lost his job by the end of last season. So Joshua Azudu at, at left guard, a sophomore, uh, sort of wrestled that job away from Ed uh, Montillas. Uh, apologies to both of them if I messed that up. But, uh, you know, the offensive line, it, it took a little while to, to gel for them last year, but the a solid core is coming back of, of four guys that played uh, a lot, really five guys that played a lot, but four uh, coming back to roles that are, are very familiar. Defensively, they've got some work to do on the defensive line. It's, it's you know, a pretty young group, um, but, you know, there, there's talent. I mean, uh, Mac Brown has, has added to the talent there. And, uh, oh, what's his, what's his name? He's he, the former head coach uh, there, Larry Fedora. Larry yes. Fedora could, could recruit pretty well. Uh, as well. So, you know, they, they'll have some guys come in and, and step up, but the linebacker core is, is really, really quite good. Uh, how impressive was Chaz Surratt last year, converting mm-hmm. from quarterback mm-hmm. to an all ACC linebacker? And, and he's, you know, put on some weight now up to 230 pounds. I mean, that was about a good, a, a one year transition as, as we could have possibly hoped for. So, uh, that is a very, very solid unit. The strength of the defense, a top 20 linebacker unit. Uh, the defensive line, according to our numbers, ranks 80th overall and, and 12th in the ACC. So that's a little bit of a, a, a worrisome spot. And then the secondary is young. I mean, Storm Duck is the only guy that uh, was a full-time starter last year or, or reached that 50%, over 50% mark that we uh you know, put them in bold type and on our team profiles. But uh, other guys have some experience. Miles Warfolk uh, has started 11 games in the past. Patrice Rene has started 19 games in the past. Trey Morrison started 16. So even though the, the quote-unquote starters returning aren't uh, there as far as the secondary goes because of some injuries last year, uh, Cameron Riley is one of those guys. Wolfwork and, and Rene and Riley – Kelly, excuse me, Cameron Kelly, uh, all suffered – significant injuries last year throw in Bryce Watson and Kyler McMichael uh two transfers from uh Virginia Tech and and Clemson respectively and that's a pretty solid unit I mean it's top 40 in our numbers but I wouldn't be surprised if they play even 
a little bit better than that. So I understand why a lot of people are, are high on North Carolina. Uh, we probably have them a, a little bit underrated at the running back position, at the offensive line, and, and maybe even the defensive line too, just because of the lack of experience. But uh, they're a team that, as we saw last year, when they took Clemson you know, to the brink, mm-hmm. uh, is capable of uh, – you know, giving anybody a bad day. And this is a team that I I think is a better team, but I I don't love the schedule. They actually benefited from losing UCF and Auburn in the non-conference schedule because they were pretty heavy underdogs in both of those, according to our numbers. Uh, So, you know, now they're only underdogs to Notre Dame by double digits, but they're underdogs against Florida State, Miami, and Virginia, all on the road, but all by less than five points, according to our numbers. So uh, that Virginia game would be 50-50 if, again, we make that adjustment to home field advantage. So North Carolina certainly could, uh, when all is said and done, go 9-1, and 10-1, depending on who that non-conference game could be. But I also think that uh, just based on the way our numbers treat North Carolina, similarly to Miami, we had North Carolina pegged pretty well last year, so I'm hopeful that that will continue. And if that is the case, we think that North Carolina will, you know, maybe have a, a little bit of a, a holding pattern is not the right word, but sort of an intermediate year where they're they're kind of maybe building up to a huge 2021, and it certainly yeah. could be. Uh, they could be a national championship type, you know, contender in, in 2021, depending on. Uh, who comes back as far as being, you know, draft eligible. They, they'll have to have some work to do with the wide receiver uh, position for sure. And, and De'Ami Brown certainly could uh, leave early. But, you know, North Carolina, the future is very, very bright. They are certainly a team that is going to give other teams headaches in 2020 uh, with this schedule. They're a team that should finish above 500 and is capable of, you know, perhaps challenging for, a spot in that ACC championship game if they're able to uh, win a couple of those coin flips and, and pull off the upset against Notre Dame. So I like North Carolina. Our numbers just aren't quite as high on them as, as some of uh, the other outlets out there that I've seen have them in, in the top 25. Uh, but, you know, they're a, they're a solid team. They're a good team. Virginia Tech is very, very similar. Uh, you know, Louisville, I think, is, is very, very similar. We saw good things and bad things about both of those teams last year. For Louisville last year, the bad was defensively. Mm-hmm. If they can play even you know, moderately <laughs> good defense, yeah. this Louisville team is going to be very, very dangerous because I really like Tutu Atwell. I really like J.D. Hawkins. But Kel Cunningham might be the most underrated quarterback in college football. He just barely missed the cutoff to be a, a, you know, a national qualifier in statistics as, as far as uh, passes thrown, but he would have ranked among the nation's leaders, if not uh, at the highest with over 11 yards uh, per pass. Attempt. So, you know, he can run a little bit too, and, and hopefully has that spot solidified. Louisville can hang with anybody on offense. They just need to, to get their act together a little bit defensively and, and have a strong linebacker core, hopefully, that, that they'll be able uh, to build on. But Virginia Tech, maybe it's just too many moving parts, you know, with the Caleb Fairley decision. They they started three different quarterbacks last year. They've got a lot of transfers in and out. So I, I our numbers like Virginia Tech, I don't feel as comfortable 
with them, I don't think. We only have them as underdogs in, in two games, but they play, I mean, really only what's – they have seven games that right now, according to our projections, are, are expected to be within a touchdown. So that's that could go either way. Uh, so, you know, the, the word you used was glob. There is a bit of a, uh, a, a very uh, fat middle here. Uh, with with teams like this, and all of which I think, if if things were to click in the right way, could compete for that second spot, that that berth in the ACC championship game. But also, the margin for error is is really pretty slim, and and some of these teams could take a big step back, lose some of those coin flips, have some of the guys that they're really depending on not progress, and and you know could end up with a, a sub five hundred record. So it's hard to project all those teams there in the middle. There's a lot of reason to like, you know, those three teams in particular in in my mind. But, uh, you know, I think those are the three that really could compete for an ACC uh, title game berth or or an ACC championship. Pitt, I think, has too many question marks. Uh, They've got a a great defensive line. But, you know, I I just don't know if everything else is is quite up to snuff. Virginia, our numbers were completely wrong on last year. But they get good numbers as far as – you know, uh, the coaching and, and uh, development and things like that. But they've got, you know, they're losing Bryce Perkins, who is just a huge part of that offense, basically, you know, the offense and, and mm-hmm. a couple of his favorite receivers. So I, again, don't love Virginia, even though our numbers are, <laughs> oddly enough, a, a little bit higher on them this year than they were last year when they won uh, the division. So it's it's a bit of a mess. It's a bit of a mess. But I think if things hit just right, North Carolina probably has the best chance of this group to emerge as uh, a contender this year. And then Virginia Tech, maybe a, a slight step back. And then probably Louisville and, and Pitt and Virginia uh, down a, a bit from there. But still solid teams, capable of upsetting or, or beating a lot of other teams. But, you know, things could go either way for, for a lot of teams in the, in the middle of this pack. Uh, Xavier, your thought on the glob, the, the, the good, this is the good glob. The bad glob is coming up after this one, but I mean, there's, there's a lot of good teams in here. I just don't know that they're not going to trade off wins and losses here between, like I said, Louisville, NC state, Virginia tech, North Carolina, Virginia, Pitt and Duke. Yeah. I I think that when, when we talk about the tier two uh, of this conference, there's a there's glaring issues on every single team. Uh, when you talk about a team like Virginia Tech, it's offensively. Do you trust their offense going into this year? Uh, and you really thought that they had a defense that would literally keep them in every single ball game. Now with Caleb Fairley out, we don't know what we're going to get from that defense as a whole. Uh, he covered up a lot of the issues. I mean, they still have some amazing players at the linebacker position, and they still have a pretty good secondary even without him. Uh, however. That defense with him was going to probably be, be outside of Clemson, the best defense in the in the conference, uh, in my opinion. Uh, maybe not from a talent perspective, but from sheer you know production over the last couple of years. Possibly one of, if not the best, uh, defenses uh, in the conference. But their offense is so young, and, and it's not an offense that I can hang my hat on. Uh, you know, they're bringing back uh, Hendon Hooker at quarterback, but last year was his first year. Uh, the running back position is pretty solidified, um, I, I, but once again. Only started 13 games. Uh, so once again, this is a young 
core that is going to be trying to to make things uh, operate in this in a shortened season, in the shortened offseason. And then that never really bodes well for an offense that, yeah, can't, it sputtered a bit last year uh, at times uh, and really relied on their defense to make big plays for them. Uh, so that's going to be something that I look, you know, is a knock against them and why I don't think that they're the team, the team in this glob to, uh, to, to, to pull its way out. Um, when you look at, North Carolina, offensively, they, they have some of my favorite players in the entire conference. Daz Newsom is probably my favorite receiver. Um, you know, Sam Howell, I think, in year two is going to make it uh, an increased step. Now, it depends on how big that step's going to be. Um, will, will he be able to live up to the hype? Because right now, Sam Howell is getting a bunch of hype, a bunch. But can he live up to it? Uh, last year was up and down for him. Some games he looked really good. Other games he looked like a freshman. Uh, and so with that sophomore, you know, hype, you know, Will he, will he be able to live up to it? If he is, he has the guys around him to do it. Daz, he, he might have the best receiving core from a yeah. production, you know, from a production standpoint in the conference. And I, and I think that he has the guys there. It's up to him to be able to throw those passes and, and not overly trust his arm like he did at times last year. You know, he has a gunslinger mentality. But we saw from Brett Favre's career that can either be Super Bowls or not making the playoffs. So, you know. He, with that mentality, it's a it's a, it's a, a win lose situation every time the ball goes up in the air for him. So he said, you know, if he can correct that issue that he did a lot last year and, and can be a little bit more precise in his passing, I think offensively they can run with anybody. Uh, you know, the same thing goes for Louisville. That offense is ridiculous. Uh, you know, Nick hit it right on the head. Jalen Hawkins and Tutu Atwell, uh, both are maybe you know top five, top 10 most explosive guys in all of college football. And, and I think that Tutu Atwell might be number one. Uh, and I think that when you look at that offense, you know, it's, it's a team that's going to rely on them. Yeah, he's ridiculous. He, he's absolutely ridiculous. But defensively, once again, can you trust their defense? I can't. Uh, you know, I, I don't see anywhere uh, defensively at, at any unit that there is a unit that I'm for sure in. The linebacker position, I'm a little bit more uh, confident in because they're senior laden. Uh, they've got three seniors and, and one junior uh, in that position uh, specifically. However, once again, as I've said so, so many times on this podcast, older garbage just smells. So if, if they can stay, if they can play up to an ability, up to you know their years on the team, and if they can show their veteran leadership throughout the year, that's going to be a plus for them, and that's going to be something they absolutely need because most of their games are going to be trackings. Um, so they're going to need at least a stop. Like, like, give me a like. You know, you don't need to give Tutu Atwell too many stops for him to still for that offense to still put up forty five points. Yeah. Uh, you just need to give them enough. Uh, when you look at Virginia, I just think the the loss of Bryce Perkins is just too much for them to handle. Uh, you know, they, they have some great players uh, like uh, Zinedine at, um, linebacker, but how? But he was so integral to that offense. I mean, he carried them to nine and four. He carried them in that bowl game, even though they lost. Bryce Perkins was the offense for Virginia Tech, uh, excuse me, for Virginia last year. And it's going to be really tough to see where their offense goes this year. I think they're going to struggle mightily to find production, you know, when Bryce Perkins was literally the offense, you know, running and throwing at times throughout his career at Virginia. Uh, When you look at Pitt, this probably has my second favorite quarterback in the conference uh, in Pickett. You know, I I just love his grit. He, He plays like he's a linebacker at the quarterback position, and I love that. Uh, but, you know, he has to. Uh, I think that he has a pretty good receiving core. It's not great. Uh, I think Shockey, uh, Jacquez Luis, and, and Taysier Mack can give him, you know, the production he needs at the receiver position. Uh, and, and that defensive front, it seems like Pitt every, like, 
four to six years, comes through with like amazing D tackle talent um, and defensive end talent. And you're just like, where, where, where have they come from? But they do a really good job of, of growing these players into the players that they are by the time they leave Pitt. Uh, but once again, linebackers an issue for me their offensive line is not great and that's an issue for me the reason why Kenny Pickett had to be a linebacker at the quarterback position multiple times last year is because he was running for his life and and that's doesn't bode well uh for that doesn't turn into wins I'll say that much so you know all of these teams in this glob have glaring issues on one side of the ball or the other one uh in my opinion the team that I think gets out of the issue the most is Louisville I think they have the most talent um, offensively out of this club. I think that they have an opportunity here. They're the most explosive team. And when you have that kind of an offense, like I said, your defense doesn't need to get that many stops. It just needs to get a couple of stops with an offense that can go the way it is. And on top of that, the added addition that Tutu Atwell gives them in the return game, I think is another explosive is another reason as to why I'm going to give them the edges because special teams wise, you can't take a break. <laughs> you can't take any plays off versus, you know, when you see Tutu Atwell on the field, because he can take it back, you know, and change the game right then and there. And so I think the defense, you know, with their senior laden linebacking core, that veteran leadership will be able to, you know, smooth over some cracks that they may have on the defensive line. And I think that Louisville will be the team to, to, to rise to the top uh, or r- rise closest to the top uh, out of this tier. Yeah, and this is, and, and I'll just uh, peel the curtain back a little bit for you guys. The the word glob I got from uh, my buddy Paul Spore, who you guys may know from Fangraphs. Uh, <laughs> it was last season before the year started. I think last season might have been two seasons ago, but there was like top end starting pitching, and then a big group of like forty guys that could all be the same, and then you got into more separated tiers. So he just called it the glob. So uh. whenever. I thought Whenever, we were going to be able to like trademark that. Right, that yes. it. I mean, yeah. we've said it enough times, but uh, that that's uh, you know just d- didn't want to take credit, and uh, I did want to give credit where credits due. Now the uh, bad glob here that we don't want to pick teams from, and these are the teams that lost a lot going with uh, you know getting rid of the non-conference games because these are good teams, but they play in a Power Five conference with really really tough opponents, but. The players are good. So uh, what we're looking for for these squads this year is upsets. And we start at, you know, Wake Forest, who we have ranked 58 out of 130 nationally, but we have them favored in one game on their schedule. Boston College, same deal, 67. We have them favored in one game. Syracuse is favored in two, but they have a lower strength rating uh, than Wake Forest and Boston College. And then, uh, you know, Georgia Tech, down here as well, we have them favored in zero games and rated uh, 92 overall. So the bottom dwellers in the ACC, Nick, what what can we expect from these teams outside of kind of becoming speed bumps for the ACC this year? Yeah, I, I think that these teams certainly were hurt uh, as far as the the schedule news. Uh, absolutely, they. Um, you know, Wake Forest is is a team that had a really, really successful season last year. Won eight games, went to a bowl game, uh, had some players really step up and and become you know somewhat household names. Now, one of them, unfortunately for for them, is kind of a household name because he's uh, at Georgia and and uh, Jamie Newman who who is transferred. But Sage Charat at wide receiver was leading the nation in 
receiving when he went down with an injury. Donovan Green uh, only played in four games. One of those, though, against uh, Syracuse was absolutely huge, and, and he's likely to, to step up and be a very big part of that offense. And, and, you know, Sam Hartman has nine career starts. He started over Jamie Newman as a true freshman. Newman had some, I believe some off the field or, or maybe a, an injury or some combination at the beginning of the 2018 season, but Hartman started basically in, until he got hurt. And, and then Newman sort of caught fire and, and, you know, was able to, to hold on to that job uh, the last what 15 games something like that but Hartman's playing a lot of football has played a lot of football uh Surratt is is very very good and and there's a lot to like about some of the younger guys on that unit uh they've got some changeover on on the offensive line only a couple of guys returning as starters but they added Terrence Davis who started 31 games at Maryland uh is, is you know really highly rated according to our, to our numbers was really highly ranked by 247 sports coming out of high school and and somebody that hopefully will solidify that that right guard uh position but you know I, I was talking about uh poor offensive line play last year uh Wake Forest actually had the third highest uh, rated offensive line uh, performance, according to our numbers. And, and Clemson and Boston College were top five in the country. And then Wake Forest was third best at 47. So if that unit takes a step back, you know, after being a, a, a bit of a strength last year, that makes me a bit nervous. There, There's more to like on the defensive side of the football. Uh, Boogie Basham at, at defensive end is is a freak, is a, you know, uh, a trademarked Bruce Feldman uh, freaks list freak, but he's somebody that I've, I've heard NFL uh, scouts and talent evaluators are just raving about. Um, that defensive line should certainly be a strength. I mean, it's, it's only ranked 32nd in the nation according to our numbers, but that might be a little bit underrated. It's got four starters coming back after Basham. There's a, a defensive end uh, or opposite Basham, really. But but once he moves on to the NFL, Ja'Cory John started 10 games last year as a freshman and, and put up five production points according to our numbers. He's going to be uh, a lot of fun to watch as a pass rusher. And a name to, to keep an eye on for some depth here, uh, even though he might not start, uh, Miles Fox was highly, highly productive at Old Dominion a couple of years ago and, and transferred to Wake Forest, sat out last season. Uh, he's a 90 rated player, according to our numbers. So uh, somebody that, you know, aside from Basham is the second highest rated player on that defensive line, really on the defense as a whole, actually. So uh, he could play a big role, could, uh, if not start, certainly play a lot and, and strengthen that particular unit. The secondary is, is you know, got some veteran guys. It, it suffered uh, injuries last year, as did the linebacker. Well, the linebacker core last three years, I think, at Wake Forest has just been uh, hurt so much by by injury. But uh, there's there are more questions in, in the uh, back seven for this team, but they play really solid special teams. They've got, you know, they've got a, a starting lineup that can compete. I think that's what they've proven to us over the last few years. Wake Forest has been to a bowl game every year since uh, 2016. I mean, 2015 was the last time they didn't have uh, a winning record. So, you know, this is a program that has proven that it can compete week in and, and week out. So we shouldn't write them off, but the move to a conference-only schedule hurts. I mean, they were scheduled to play Old Dominion and Villanova, 
They did have Notre Dame already on the schedule, and they had a tough game against Appalachian State. So, you know, our numbers were, were not necessarily super high as far as their win total. I think we had them uh, expected to, to win uh, five games was the, the prediction before, you know, everything happened today. But, but you know, there are some pieces, some things to like about Wake Forest, and I don't expect them to, to finish 500, especially now. But, you know, they're a team that can give somebody a bad day. NC State is is somewhat similar. Last year, they just sort of fell off a cliff. I mean, they were a, a really, really solid program for quite a while and, and were producing, you know, NFL draft picks, especially on defense, you know, year in, year out. And, and Aline McNeil is is really the, the anchor of, of that defensive line and probably the next, you know, pretty high – uh, draft pick as far as NC State goes. He's an athletic 6'2", 315, and, and has been productive. He's somebody that's that's put some stats behind uh, what a lot of guys do just sort of as a, a space eater, but he's he's been productive as well. And then the linebacker core hopefully is, is you know, going to be a strength. That's a top 20 unit according to our numbers, ranked number 16th. The secondary at NC State, the, the biggest problem uh, last year was just the injuries. They suffered uh, – uh, half a dozen guys that were projected to be starters or major contributors were lost for the season. And the secondary was really hard hit. The offensive line was really hard hit and they just didn't have good, you know, play at the, at the quarterback position. Matthew McKay started the year uh, has since transferred to Montana state. Bailey Hockman, who was at Florida state junior college came in, got a couple of starts and, and eventually they settled on, Devin Leary and and maybe he solidified that position. I'm not sure. Ever Keep an since eye on- Bradley Chubb uh, spit on the the Seminoles logo, it's been downhill. Oh, uh, interesting. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. Just just <laughs> uh, just a reminder for uh, see that'll get the Seminoles fans on my side here. So there you go, there you uh, go. Uh, but but this team, you know, they've got some talent. The running back position is pretty good. Like what I saw from Zonovan Knight, Ricky Pearson was really highly rated. Was banged up last year, but I think if you know those two could be a, a solid one-two punch. The receiving core is experienced and and has some talent. Amika Emazi, Thayer Thomas, Devin Carter, all three guys were starters last year. All are you know big and athletic. Uh, Kerry Angeline is, is a huge target at 6'7", 250 at tight end. Uh, he might be the slowest person I've ever seen, but, uh, he, you know, they, they've got some, some weapons at receiver if Devin Leary or Hawkman or Ben Finley, the true freshman, whoever ends up taking that job, uh, will have some, some, you know, good things to work with. But they're another team that, that was hurt by this. I mean, they were playing Mississippi State, which – they were an underdog. They were playing Troy, who was a dangerous team, but lost a game against Delaware and then Liberty as well, which were probably two wins. So we could expect maybe they would go three and one in those games. And, and you know, losing that certainly is going to hurt. Uh, we do have them favored in four, but, you know, there are some, some pretty close ones there with uh, Syracuse and, and Wake Forest. Uh, and even the game against Georgia Tech, they're only an 11 point favorite. And Georgia Tech, beat beat NC State pretty bad uh, last year. So if they don't get that quarterback position, uh, if they don't take a step forward there, you know, hopefully they'll stay healthier. But but that's going to be the, the big thing as to whether or not NC State can turn things around. Syracuse has really one of the, the best secondaries, I think. Our, our numbers 
really, really underrate Syracuse secondary. They rank 61st in the country, but Andre Sisco is an all-American candidate. Uh, Ifatu uh, Milfuanu, sorry, is a veteran guy. Yeah, we'll see. But, you know, is is a returning starter, has done some good things. Trill Williams uh, has played a lot at, at corner. Uh, that's a solid group. And Eric Coley as well. Th- those four starters are ACC quality starters. And Cisco is, is a star, can be, should be. Uh, you know, probably going to be somebody we hear relatively early on, on draft day. For Syracuse, you have to think the offense hopefully will, will take a step forward. Tommy DeVito was banged up all of last year, really kind of underperformed, didn't didn't step in. It wasn't a smooth transition uh, from Eric Dungy like, like we had hoped. But, you know, what we've seen from Dino Babers in the past, I, I think that if DeVito is full strength and if the offensive line improves, again, another really, really poorly rated offensive line, 117th in our numbers last year, uh, Syracuse is going to be dangerous because I like Tosh Harris at, at uh, wide receiver. I like Abdul Adams. Uh, they've got, you know, uh, I've read a, a bit this year about uh, Jahar Jordan, who's a running back who played four games last year, but apparently it's just electric, has, you know, really, really high-end speed, going to be a factor in the return game, and, and hopefully they'll, you know, get him involved as a runner, as a receiver this year. And there's depth, I think, at, at the receiver uh, in the receiver core. So I think Syracuse is going to be better on offense. They do again play solid special teams. Have a, a Lou Groza Award winner uh, at kicker and Andre Schmidt. And if that secondary can can you know spearhead a, a, a somewhat of an improvement on defense, I think Syracuse. You know they're not going to be like they were in 2018 and won 10 games, but they're potentially a, a team that can pull off a big upset. We've seen them beat Clemson in the past. So, you know, probably sub 500, but but still a dangerous team. Boston College is very similar. I like the long-term uh, view for Boston College. The, the higher they made with Jeff Halfley coming over from Ohio State, I think their offense, uh, interestingly enough, because Halfley is a defensive coordinator, I think their offense is going to take a big step forward in the long run. Uh, if, Jerkovic, the, the Notre Dame transfer, is uh, eligible. I think that is huge for them for this year, but they're a team that's probably going to take a step back record-wise, but then hopefully build for a really solid uh, future. Like you mentioned, kind of a glob. A lot of these teams are similar. Duke, you know, not the most talented team, has some nice pieces, can be dangerous in the right spot. This schedule sets up really, really, really well for Duke. They're the 15th uh, rated as, as far as all 15 of these go. They play the weakest average team strength and the weakest average roster strength. So Duke certainly could be a bit of a surprise, get up to 500. Georgia Tech, I think they're going to take a step forward. They showed some nice things last year, beat Miami, beat NC State, but then they lost to the Citadel. You know, they're going to be more experienced. They're going to be in the second year of Jeff Collins. They've got some solid pieces, especially on defense. They're recruiting really, really well. I think they might end up with a, a similar or even now uh, a worse record because of the, the conference-only schedule. But, you know, kind of like Boston College, I think Georgia Tech is a program in the next few years going to take a, a pretty strong step forward and, and be highly competitive in 2021, 2022, and, and moving forward. Xavier, your thoughts on that lower glob uh, of teams in the ACC here? Yeah, so, so you know, uh, starting with NC State, I think this is a team that's going to heavily rely on its skill position offensively. You know, young quarterback and Devin Leary, uh, you know, he's got – 
three guys at the receiver position that have 16 or more games played, uh, you know, overall with the, the entire position group, more than 20 games played in at five, you know, four or five deep. That's going to be something that they're really going to hold on to, really going to harp on, you know, at the receiver position. They're going to have to, you know, help this guy out. You know, when you're an older receiver, you're allowed to kind of help out the quarterback position. And that's something that they're going to harp on uh, offensively. You know, they're, they're going to make sure they're in the right spot at all times so that the ball gets to them, you know, where it needs to be. It'll be more focused on them than it will necessarily be the quarterback. And you don't often see that in college football, but in this situation, that's, what I think, what they're going to be harping on the most. My biggest worry with NC State is, is will they be able to bounce back, you know, Nick hit it right on the head. The NC State for a while there was kind of, you know, a, a tier two, tier one kind of team. You know, they got they came close to beating Clemson a couple of times if it wasn't for some special teams errors. You know, they 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 got had guys like Bradley Chubb and Jalen Samuels and Ryan Finley. You know, all get drafted uh, in, in about a you know a five year span, and they were really looking like a team that would stay the course. You know, NC State's a team that's coached really well. You know, and has a culture there, and they kind of plummeted last year. You know, the one and seven in the conference overall, four and eight record. You know, missed a bowl game. You know, uh, and will they be able to bounce back from that? Sometimes it's more of a mental thing, uh, and you know, will they be able to ride that wave out of it uh, and get back to playing good football? And so, well, that's something that concerns me mentally for them, especially with the lack of offseason, the lack of continuity. Some a lot of times throughout the offseason, you know, you go back through those games, you. you Go back through the mental reps of why you didn't win, the mental preparation that goes into, you know, why you played so poorly last year versus how that's going to change this year. When you don't really have that, you know, the it can wane on players. You know, these are still kids at the end of the day. And so, you know, it, when they start losing, you know, do they all of a sudden get their head down immediately and go back to, you know, the the – the emotions that they had last year. So that's my only worry with NC State uh, because that can really change a season. Uh, when you really look at Wake Forest, I love Sam Hartman. I, I think this is a kid who in two years we'll be talking about being one of the best quarterbacks in the conference. This is a guy who can sling it around. You know, for what Jamie Newman can do on the ground, Sam Hartman had the better arm. You know, I, I don't think that anybody's, you know, uh, refuting that. And, you know, he has his guy in Sage Surratt. I mean, he's going to be missing a very, very, very senior later receiving core last year with Scotty Washington and Kendall Hilton and company uh, that really helped, you know, Wake Forest at the beginning of the year. Wake Forest was one of those teams last year that I thought they had, you know, every like three or four years, a team has all the makings of a team that can make a run that they're not supposed to. Uh, that's what Wake Forest had last year. And I think that due to injuries that really hampered their abilities to win double-digit games and make themselves a known entity in the conference. Uh, and I think that this year, you know, but I think overall because of the injuries last year, it's going to help them this year. I think that now the receiver position, you're going to have more confidence from some of the younger guys who got a lot of reps last year with Scotty Washington being out, with Sage Surratt injury uh, that, uh, down the stretch. Uh, defensively, Carlos Basham is a beast. He, he's a monster. Um, and he's going to have to be a monster this year for this defense. This is a defense that really didn't play up to – uh, didn't play well all of last year, especially down the stretch. You saw once the offense sputtered, the defense couldn't really carry its own weight uh, last year. But I think that this year, Carlos Basham and company are going to be able to do so. Out of this tier three, I think that they have the best opportunity to move into that tier two to you know make a bowl game to win six or seven games. Um, I think that they have that best opportunity to do it because I believe in Sam Hartman. Carlos Basham is a monster. And Sage Surratt, I think, is just going to improve on what he did last year as long as he returns to injury rather the same. When we look at Syracuse, we got Syracuse completely wrong last year. Uh, 
you know, I know I did. I, I remember talking in the offseason if that if their defense could get it right, this is a team that could have competed for the uh, ACC last year, and they didn't get it right on, on any stretch, uh, offensively or defensively. And I think that going into this year, a lot's going to be made of Tommy DeVito. This is a guy who went up and down, up and down, up and down all of last year. Uh, and I think, you know, Nick, your production points, you know, uh, say that, you know, one production point all of last year with 12 games started. I think that tells you exactly kind of how his performance was uh, in last season. I think that he has to make that next step. It's really on him uh, to make that next step and become the guy that I think everybody expects him to be, um, you know, and, and, you know, nobody's expecting you to be the quarterback. You know, his name escapes me, but the quarterback before him, uh, you know, he was Eric Dungy. Eric Dungy. Yeah. Right? yeah. Dungy was a trooper. He got punched in the mouth more times than I've seen most quarterbacks and got up like nothing happened. Uh, and I think Tommy DeVito kind of tried to play a little bit like that too much last year. He took some unnecessary hits. You know, he, he sat in the pocket very too long. He, you know, held on to the ball a little bit too much. And I think that that really hindered his ability and his progression last year because uh, he has pretty decent receiving core, uh, you know, for some reason, Syracuse always has long, lanky receivers that don't really look like they've ever hit a weight room, uh, but they're really talented, uh, and they're really good in the air. They're 50-50 they're ball guys, and they're really excellent at that. Uh, but Syracuse, once again, can I trust them after what they showed last year when neither side of the ball decided to step up in the same game pretty much ever? Uh, you know, it was either an offensive masterclass or, or, or a defensive masterpiece, and it was never just a whole team just decided to come together, uh, you know, Special teams was pretty consistent all year, and that's something pretty consistent at Syracuse uh, in general. Uh, but I can't rely on my special teams game in and game out to win me a ball game, you know. So that's that's my biggest worry with Syracuse uh, as well is the inconsistency that they have. Uh, when we move on to teams like Duke, now Duke is a weird team because coaching wise, they might have outside they might have the third best coach in the conference. Uh, you yeah. know, you know, you've got you know Dabo and you've got uh, Mac at. Uh, UNC, but Cutcliffe might be the best, you know, the, the best of the rest in that in that case. And I think that, you know, they have an opportunity here with Chase Bryce as their quarterback. You know, he's going to he's been in his ear since he transferred there. And we all know Cutcliffe as a quarterback whisperer. He's been able to, you know, have some pretty good quarterbacks in his time, um, you know, in football. And I think that Chase Bryce is a guy who has the talent. My biggest issue with Chase Bryce is the lack of reps at Clemson may hurt him at Duke. I think that talent-wise, he's got it. But the lack of reps with his teammates is going to hurt his continuity coming into this year with an already young receiving core that he's going to have to kind of mold and shape as the season progresses. Uh, this isn't going to be an offense that week one you can just say, we can trust them. Um, and so defensively, they're going to have to step up. And this is an older def defense at all of the positions. Um, you know, they're senior laden up front. They're senior laden at the back end. Can they use that veteran leadership and hold teams and allow the offense to get right. Because I think once Chase Bryce gets his continuity, he's going to be one of the better quarterbacks in the ACC. I think he's going to have an opportunity to put up excellent numbers. It's just going to take him a little while. Uh, I love Chris Rumpf. I think this is a guy that could be a double digit stat guy, and it's going to have to be the guy for them defensively to help out those corners. I mean, the corners are seniors. So the corners are seniors and juniors. So from a, you know, a veteran standpoint, they should be able, the mistakes should be very limited, which will allow a guy like Chris Rumpf to get double digit sacks. Um, once again, when you have a guy like Chris Rumpf, he's able to take double teams, which should mean people around him are allowed to make plays. It's just up to them to making those plays. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, the ACC is going to be a lot of fun to watch this year, especially in this all conference oh. schedule. Oh, you got one more? Yeah, I will say this, and this is going to be a weird thing because I'm going to leave this on a positive. 
Georgia Tech and Nick is absolutely right. I think Georgia Tech is a team that in a couple of years is going to be a viable option for one of the tier two, tier one teams in this conference. They have hit the recruiting trail very hard. They're keeping kids in Atlanta. They're currently ranked fifth in the conference in recruiting. So only behind Miami, Florida State, UNC, and Clemson. If they can continue to recruit it the way that they are, I think Georgia Tech is going to be a team that's going to be viable for one of the tier two or tier one teams in this conference. And that's just going to make the rivalry better. Uh, but yeah, I, I like where Georgia Tech's headed. Just this, they're going to go through some heck of growing pains in the next, you know, two to three seasons. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, having to change the whole system and get your own personnel in there and, and, and all that stuff, uh, obviously, is going to, uh, it's going to hurt in the immediate future, but help. Uh, like you said, with all the great recruiting that they've been doing. But that is going to wrap up the ACC for us in the preseason here. Nick, what do we have coming up over at CFB Winning Edge on Patreon? Patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. Well, uh, by the time you hear this, all of our uh, ACC schedule updates should be in effect. I need to go through and run the projected win percentages for, for each game. So we'll actually know how many games each team we expect to win on average. So uh, that should be done in, in the next few hours here. And, and hopefully by time you hear this and then uh, team and player stat projections are, are the big project. The next 10 days or so are going to be really big for that. It's going to be close to that uh, self-imposed deadline, but uh, you know, we're, we're really, really working hard on it, really excited about it. So uh, whatever college football season looks like, we will <laughs> adjust our stuff and, and provide the most up-to-date and, and hopefully most thorough and best information that you're going to be able to find out there. If you're looking for, you know, who's opted out and, and schedules changed and all that, all the magazines are already out of date. We love them, but they're out of date. And we will work to, to make sure that uh, we, you know, take all that stuff into account. So uh, check us out, CFB Winning Edge uh, on Patreon, patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. Join us a Tier 2 patron and, and get access to our FBS team profiles uh, with, you know, 150 pages worth of information and, and anything you can want, hopefully. All right. And that is going to wrap it up. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Bogman Sports for me, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, and at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier. We will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody.